This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Friday to you. You made it through the week. Thank heavens. And now you can just relax. Fulfill your duties at work. And then take a long-deserved uh, vacation. Whew. Not you, Jeffrey. Uh, you've got a lot of work to do today because we're debuting your new show. Oh? Huh? In, uh, it's at 9 o'clock. No, 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 no. Yes. In the 11 o'clock? o'clock Eastern time. Okay. 11 o'clock Eastern time. You will take over the Matt Townsend show and be launching your new show, Screen Cleaning. Don't pretend like you don't know what it is. I have to remember the name. It's a great name. Screen Cleaning, which is going to be a media show where you'll, uh, you're going to talk about all that is good in the media. Yes. You know, sometimes it's difficult to find the good out there in the media. And, you know, people with families, that's very important. Right. So we're going to help you do that. And um, I hear there will be some weird characters maybe that will be on the show, maybe some voices. Perhaps. I can't give that away. Okay, I'm just I'm just saying. Okay, that's awesome. So that will be in two hours. You'll take over the entire hour. You'll talk movies. You'll talk media. I'm sure you'll touch on Netflix. News, my best friend. Reviews, interviews, Sports Nation, and even a story from my own life. Mm, that sounds no, no, no. That oh. it's it's a good one. Okay, it's a good story. So it's, it's not the story where you lost your hearing. No, it's a breakup story. My oh. favorite breakup story of all time. Really? Yes. True story. Sounds juicy. All of that ahead in the third hour of the program. But this hour, we're going to be talking about journalism. Is is the profession of journalism in trouble? Is it in danger? Is it dying? Uh, well, if you look at the ratings, if you look at – not the ratings, but if you look at the um, – just kind of the the acceptance level of journalism, the trust in journalists, it seems to be dropping. So we will have a professor of journalism – from Penn State here to talk about uh, should journalism become less professional. He was able to get out. Yeah. They, were, they wanted Flew him to in. get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Penn State, I heard, is kind of strict on that kind of thing. Yeah. No. They, is they, it they different like, Penn State? No, it's, 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 a, it's the same Penn oh. State. Okay. Yeah. But he's going to be – he'll be on the phone actually. Oh. Let's just be honest. If we so want this is honest, his one phone call. Honest in journalism, yeah. He's no longer – he's in the Penn State, not the state Penn. It's oh, I see. Okay, gotcha. It's a different – it's different than you're thinking. So we'll talk about journalism coming up. Plus, of course, we've got to do an update on um, what happened on May 4th. May the 4th be with you because there was yes. a little problem. By the way, I also read that it was um, May the 4th be with you day. As in Colin Firth, the yeah. actor that everybody loves from Pride yeah. and Prejudice. Why, why would he have his own day? Well, because it sounds like fourth or force. Hmm. Fourth. Yeah. Yeah, I never read that. I didn't read that. Hmm. That, that, by the way, would be a great topic on your show. But we're not going to be talking about that. In f- just a few hours, screen cleaning. Where everyone w- – you're going to teach people how to clean – their phone screens. It's a whole hour of instruction on how to clean your screens. It sounds riveting. <laughs> it's a great show. I already know part of what's going to be going on the show, and you'll laugh. 
the story about his personal breakups, not so interesting. But um, other stuff will be incredible. You'll laugh. You'll cry. It's better than cats. I'm not familiar with that, too. Um, We'll get to all that fun straight ahead. But first to the – oh, by the way, we've got to touch on this. It's Terry's favorite day of the year, Cinco de Mayo. And who doesn't love Cinco de Mayo without a little uh, Mexican mariachi polka? You know, I never knew that polka and mariachi went together. Apparently yeah. they do. Hey, by the way, you know what else goes with uh, Cinco de Mayo? What? Chips and salsa, which uh, you promised to bring this morning. I actually, if we play back the tape, you will see I promise nothing. Hmm. Story of my life. And nailed it. <laughs> Brought nothing. Interesting, though, today when I was getting ready, I actually looked in our pantry and saw the chips. And you still didn't bring them. And I out did, of spite, you didn't bring I, them. What I thought was, hey, those will be great to eat tonight when we're babysitting our grandbaby. Wow! I didn't even think of you guys. Hmm. That's rude of me. You made a point of telling us about this new chip. Have yeah. you tried this new it's chip? A great chip. Chipperific, we call it. We'll get to uh, we'll get to more on the um, Cinco de Mayo celebration celebración. If we're going to keep it legit. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Chicago Aviation Commissioner Ginger Evans on Thursday apologized for the behavior of employees who forcibly removed a United passenger at a U.S. Senate hearing in the industry's customer service failures. Evans told the U.S. Senate Commerce Subcommittee that the April 9th removal of Dr. David Dow was deeply saddening and personally offensive. The department suspended four employees in the incident and said neither the Chicago Police Department nor airport security officers will go on aircraft uh, go on an aircraft to deal with customer service matters, including overbooking. Because uh, Delta Airlines is kind of uh, jealous that United's been getting all this attention. They had their own flare-up yesterday yes, on did. Thursday, issued an apology for an incident last month in which an entire family was kicked off a flight. The latest customer service fiasco to hit the airline industry. Brian and Brittany Shear were flying from Maui to Los Angeles on April 23rd when they say the airline employees told them they had to give up their seats occupied by their two-year-old to another passenger. In the video, airline employees can be heard providing a range of reasons for the move, first saying it was a violation of rules to have their toddler sit in a seat rather than the teenage son that they purchased the ticket for. Sheard explained that his teenage son caught a different flight and the family had already paid for the ticket, so decided to let the toddler have the seat. A Delta employee then provided another argument, telling him that he had to give up the seat because FAA rules prohibit a toddler from sitting in the seat during the flight, even if the it's a car seat. When Shear again refused, the employee threatened jail time. So then it's going to be a federal offense, and you and your wife will be in jail, and your kids will be, and the employee can be heard telling Shear before he would cut her off. Something about fuck, your kids will be in uh, foster families. Holy and, cow. Yeah, just all these different threats. The entire family was eventually ejected from the plane, told they were on their own despite Shear's uh, offer to cooperate. He goes, I have two infants and nowhere to stay. There's no more flights. We are supposed to do, what are we supposed to do, sleep in the airport, he asked. After the video went viral uh, this week, Delta issued a statement Thursday apologizing for the family's travel issues. We're sorry for the unfortunate experience that our customer had with Delta. We are reaching out to them to refund their travel and provide additional compensation. So it's $2,000 for the family to fly from from Hawaii to California. And then they had to get off the plane and then... Spend the night at so the hotel, yeah, yeah. plus another $2,000 to get the family plus to meal, California. Plus a meal, plus a taxi. Ugh. They, they, they'll get a settlement. 
Oh, yeah, it's done. They, they probably already have the You know what's ready. great, though, is now you have these phones, so the minute you start getting guff, just turn on your phone. Yeah, I was watching it last night. I go, oh, that's already fixed. I mean, yeah, just watching problem the, solved. First time the story's reported, story's fixed, because, you know, stock prices start to But dip. you wonder what that cost Delta. Just that little at moment. Probably $6,000, at least. At least, not to mention if the stock dipped or whatever. All Haven't right. you ever seen car seats on an airplane before? Yeah. Just oh, on yeah. the seats? I, I, yeah. You're not supposed to hold your kid. Someone hit me in the head with their car seat. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. They want them strapped in. They, it's, they, they prefer the car seat situation. So. Mm. Very interesting. And finally, Sheila White was out for compensation when she claimed a sprinkler head at her place of work in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, fell from the ceiling bouncing off her desk and then uh, struck her in the head in 2015. While the sprinkler head did indeed fall from the ceiling, it landed on her desk before White was caught on surveillance camera smashing herself in the face with it. <laughs> Uh, White's, uh, her employer filed a compensation claim, but the insurance company grew suspicious and launched an investigation. Footage from security cameras inside the office showed the sprinkler head falling onto her desk. Now, the footage is interesting because the camera's right over her desk. There's no way she doesn't know it's there. So, it's looking right at her. And the sprinkler head falls on the desk. She picks it up, looks at it for a second, looks around, and then hits herself on the forehead with it. And then, you know, a day later files a compensation claim. But what must you be feeling or thinking to set, think to yourself, man, boy, that you'd think, boy, that was close. That could have really hurt me. Yeah. Oh, I guess I should hurt myself with it. And then I can get time off yeah. and a compensation, I guess. Yeah, get paid vacation, basically. It's like the guy that stood under the Walmart sign yeah. waiting for it to fall off. Just waiting for it to <laughs> fall off. She was arrested and uh, convicted of fraud. Well, shame on you, Mrs. White. What yeah, are you she thinking? Just looks at it for a second, and then bam, right in the forehead. Holy cow! What? Where? What? Where was that? Where did that take place? Fort Lauderdale. Mrs. White in Fort Lauderdale with the sprinkler head. <laughs> Florida. I win. That is my favorite game. Clue. I love that game. Hey, uh, yesterday was fourth. Uh, may the fourth be with you. Fourth of May. And uh, some students in Wisconsin were evacuated Thursday when an unlikely figure was spotted entering through the high school's back door. According to a statement by the Ashwabanon public safety officers, a concerned parent called 911 to report suspicious activity after seeing someone dressed in a mask and holding a bag walk through the back entrance. Time reports that the school proceeded to evacuate under uh, police supervision, eventually discovering that the suspect was a student dressed in Darth Vader regalia celebrating Star Wars Day. Yeah. May the fourth be with you. And he then alerted an entire horrible SWAT unit. Isn't there a the- no mask policy at schools? But that's not Darth Vader. Oh. I mean, Darth Vader's not a mask. I see. It's a persona. Hmm. It's it's regalia. That's one costume that is kind of hard to pull off without the mask. The incident turned out to be not serious, except uh, it looked like, you know, somebody was going to do some harm to people. And the, she didn't even mention that he probably had a lightsaber. You know, that's a lot of damage. Like, if Darth Vader actually showed up to your school with a lightsaber... Chaos. You'd have a lot of kids going home without a hand. You had to bring that up. I wasn't going to go that graphic. I didn't say there was any connection. Anyway, apparently the district um, says the costumed pupil will be held accountable for causing all the ruckus.
Isn't that amazing? You will be in trouble for dressing up like Darth Vader in high school. My son last night was telling me other things that are going on in high school. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, we're getting caught up on Darth Vader? I mean, I get well, it. Well, he scared people. He scared people. Right. It looked like he was wearing a bulletproof vest. There's a lot going on in high schools that we're not even paying attention to. And neither are the students. And neither are the students. <laughs> Mainly history. And English. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's some tough stuff, though. So, um, hmm. I tell you. So Delta in a little bit of trouble. Darth Vader in a lot of bit of trouble. He can use the Force to get his way out of it, though. Well, yeah. What else is he going to do? And um, Do- uh, Donald Trump, another victory. He he. They passed the GOP passed the the great uh, repeal and replace bill in the con- in Congress. So Trump's you know Trump did it again, victory. So maybe now he's thinking, I'm done. Right? I can I can leave now. Drop the mic. I've done all I've first hundred plus seven days. Nailed it. <laughs> No, there's a lot more. There's a lot more. Donald Trump's got to work on as well. So um, all this fun, folks, straight ahead. But how do you cover it? That's the question. Journalists, are they are they doing a good job? Are they becoming less professional? Should they just become less professional? Should we give up some of the belief or standards we have for journalists anyway? Stick with us. We'll have a journalism professor from Penn State uh, here to talk to us about uh, what, what maybe we should be doing with the future of journalism. Stick with us. Today's journalism isn't what it used to be, many claim. And, you know, you can get instant updates on your tablet, smartphone, and television. It's rare to find someone who still gets their news from the newspaper. But here to talk with us today about the rapidly changing um, field of journalism is Dr. Robert Trumpbor. Uh, he is a, he researches the intersection of media, sports, and society. He is an associate professor of communications at Penn State Altoona and is the co-author of The Eighth Wonder of the World, The Life of Houston's Iconic Astrodome. And uh, Dr. Trumpbor, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. This is uh, a a topic near and dear to my heart. I have a bachelor's degree in journalism, and I don't know that I've ever used it, even though I have a radio show. But I don't necessarily (laughs) consider myself a journalist. But I do remember when I was learning journalism that there, there was this ethic, there was this code. It was this honorable position to be a journalist, and it seems like it's just not as honorable anymore. You know, trust in media has eroded substantially over the years. I, I know, uh, you know, if you go back to the 60s and 70s, particularly during the Watergate era, you know, confidence in media was, was in the 70% range and occasionally, you know, not that often, but occasionally got above 70%. Now it's now trust in media is at the 32% mark. Mm. I mean, that's, that's pretty darn low when you think less than one, you know, Less than one out of three people has trust in media. Uh, so, so, you know, the bar is pretty low for media right now. And that's, that's, a, tough, that's a tough battle that journalists face today. And it, where did this begin? I mean, I love you wrote this article 
um, should journalism be less professional? And you you talk about a longtime um, Daily News columnist, Jimmy Breslin, that I had never known or heard about. I wasn't from New York, but I didn't I had never yeah. heard about him. But tell me about him, because he he to me is the almost the personification of what journalists were supposed to be. You know, Jimmy Breslin, I grew up in the New York metropolitan area. I was born in Queens, and then my parents moved to New Jersey when I was young. And I have to say, I read Jimmy Breslin all the time as a youngster. And his the Breslin family grew up in the area that my parents were from in Queens. So we sort of knew the Breslin family. But they, he was an icon uh, in, the New York, in the New York media. And what he did is... He was, he was one of these sort of shoe leather journalists. He would take, you know, the subways to into Manhattan, and he would, he would, you know, head to watering holes in Queens to do interviews with people. And he was sort of the old-fashioned shoe, shoe leather journalist who would just, you know, very doggedly try to get stories. And he, he looked at things in a very different way than many other journalists. So as an example, when, when you know, President Kennedy was, was tragically shot, instead of, instead of going after the dignitaries and trying to cover the pomp and circumstance, he actually, he actually looked at sort of the working class folks and what their attitudes were about you know, the Kennedy tragedy. And the one thing he did, he went, he went to find the grave digger, the person who worked, you know, that, that nine to five job. And he wrote the story about, you know, that individual and, uh, you know, it, it just covered journalism from a very different perspective than a lot of other people who, you know, might have gone through typical journalism training would have done. Hmm. So I will say you went to journalism school, you know, there were certain faculty members who would who would work with you to try to get you to think a bit outside the box yeah. and would push you to would push you to think in different ways and, and write in different ways and you know I think we need more of that you know I, I think that you know that would probably help restore some degree of trust in journalism mm. but it is an uphill battle oh yeah and is it I mean what about like because now we hear about fake news and yeah. we all we also almost see. I don't know even know what you call it, but kind of the 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 business side of journalism, where yeah. it seems like the journalists used to be so about their own integrity, and and then they'd also report for their paper. But it yeah. was about their integrity. Now it's almost more about the branding of these organizations than it is even the journalist. Yeah. yeah well, you know what's really sad is you know, and this this probably contributes to that lack of trust. But it's sort of become more important to get clicks, you know, and and people, you know, jumping into what you're doing rather than, you know, rather than, you know, actually, you know, reporting the facts in some instances. Yeah. And, you know, and that's kind of what got the fake news going. I don't know if too many people know the, the sort of origins. I mean, fake news has been with us for generations, you know, many generations. Right. But at the same time, um, you know, sort of the genesis of, of the more modern fake news, you know, came when you had people in, in far-flung places just making up stories that sounded a li- slightly absurd but reasonable enough to be maybe plausible. Mm-hmm. So you get stories about, you know, the Pope endorsing a specific candidate for president, you know. Yeah. And it was, it was being done by people in Macedonia who were actually, you know, relatively poor and they would just flip these things around to get clicks, and they would monetize it and make a lot of money. 
So they would make money off of this, and there was no truth whatsoever to it, and it was fake journalism. But, you know, now fake journalism has sort of taken on this bizarre new trajectory where if someone disagrees with it ideologically, they just call it fake news, which, quite frankly, is, is disturbing and troubling. You, you want to make sure that the facts are right. If the facts are right, it's not really fake news. It's that you don't want to confront the reality of the truth. You know? Yeah, right. And that's kind of where we are in journalism, in this very odd spot where people don't know whether something's real or made up. And, you know, you're just trying to decipher through it. Well, we used to, because that used to be like the tabloids, right? Those would be those crazy stories about an alien landing on the White House lawn. Um, yeah, the Weekly World News with Bat Boy. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Go with it. But now, now it's like, now you almost can't discern. You can't always, I mean, some of it is just yeah. absurd. And you can tell if you just read yeah. through it. It seems like a big turn in journalism um, took place kind of where it went from professionals to minor leaguers being able to do whatever they wanted to do was was uh, Drudge Report and Bill yeah. Clinton and that whole scandal. Sure. I mean, it's funny, but, you know, Matt Drudge, you, you know, you, you bring up Matt Drudge and, you know, just some of his background. I remember, you know, he used to work at CBS in what was called a CBS store where they would just peddle CBS merchandise. And he, you know, he just kept his ears open and listened to rumors and things. And he made a pretty big cottage industry out of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and just turned it into something big. So, I mean, we've kind of gone into that point where, you know, we've got these sort of, you know, every, and this, this is where it gets a little bit, you know, a, a little bit troubling on one level, but also, you know, at some level, it actually, we might be able to sort of slug our way out of it with this, but we've gotten into this tribalism where people go into their own tribes and and they, they look for what they, they want to look for. So, yeah, I, I don't know if you're, you read the New York Times, but occasionally, I remember Nicholas Kristof in the 1990s wrote a column called The Daily Me, and he was talking about how you know, now with cable and, and, you know, with the Internet you know, emerging and those sorts of things, people are just creating their own media environment. Mm. It's this daily mini, you know, that everything is, 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 you know, sort of shaped around what I want to see. And, you know, it, it sort of makes it hard to, you know, it makes it hard for people to sort of talk to people who may not agree with them. And that's probably where we are right now in some weird ways. I mean, you think about in Congress, you know, if someone disagrees with someone, they don't they do not do what they did in the you know, 70s and 80s, you know, go out to a bar in Georgetown and sort of hash out what their differences are and figure out a compromise where, where both parties win. Instead, they just kind of slam each other and turn it into news fodder. Right. And it's become, it's become sort of an odd thing. But, you know... What's interesting is, you know, with that tribalism, you know, you, you might get pockets of people who, you know, emerge to try to do some positive things. So it's not all negative, but at the same time, it has the potential to be negative. Is it? But it seems like it's impacting the numbers, right? Fewer and fewer students sure. now are actually even wanting to study journalism. Yeah, the numbers have gone down for journalism. You know what, though? I, I, I kind of wonder if... You know, if if attacks on journalism and journalism integrity might actually, in in the long run, get you know, st- 
start to get a surge of people saying, I want to change that. Mm. And I hope that's what happens. I'm not sure if it will, but the numbers have been sort of on a, a steady downward trajectory. It, you know, and it's not amazingly, you know, it's not like it's not like some professions where, you know, the, the trajectory is, you know, 40 percent or 50 percent. But, you know, the, the bottom line is it's going down. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I know as an example, you know, I looked at the AEJMC numbers. You know, that's the Association for Education, Journalism and Mass Communication. And, you know, it's, in 2010, they had, you know, a little bit more than 200, 203,000 students in journalism or communication majors, it had dipped to 197 or so by 2013. So, it, so it's dipping, but it's, it, it's, it's remained somewhat stably around that 200,000 mark. Mm. Is it, um, I mean, I went through school, I even went to start getting a master's degree in journalism, and then I... Uh, and I had some TV experience, and it almost seems like there there was a big change too. Even when you went into TV journalism, broadcast kind of journalism versus the old paper journalists, because uh, I remember sitting there in school, spending a lot of time on hair and makeup, and thinking, yeah. "What are we talking about? <laughs> like, you know what? Why are that we talking a, about this?" That is an issue. I mean, what's really funny is. You know, if you, you know, there are these media consultants who go out and they get paid a pretty decent dime. And, and, you know, they, they, in some cases, they do look at the substance of journalism, but quite frequently they're looking at, you know, the hair, they're looking at, you know, the clothing that's worn, they're looking at, you know, the, the set itself, and they're looking at sort of peripheral issues that aren't really journalism. And, and I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know? totally. And, and those are the things that, that, quite frankly, probably don't help journalists to get, you know, to, to get, uh, you know, credibility. One of the things, and this is kind of interesting, but I just know when I started working, it's, it's the CBS Broadcast Center, because I worked in New York for a while. I just remember, you know, going onto the set of the Walter Cronkite newscast mm. wow. just as Dan Rather was taking over. And I gotta be honest, it was not it, it was not this great lavish set. It was actually yeah. reasonably small. And what was kind of weird about it is because it was small, Walter Cronkite looked larger than life. Mm-hmm. Because he was the he was a big figure in this smaller setting. And I don't know if you you remember those newscasts. Yeah. But, you know, he would end it with, that's the way it is. Can Period. you imagine today <laughs> closing a newscast saying, that's the way it is? Uh. But but most of America had, you know, trust in, in the news media to the point where they were comfortable thinking that when they got the news from either CBS or, you know, or whether it was Chet Huntley and David Brinkley on NBC, that it was the way it was. Yeah, no, totally. Well, and then it, don't you think it then now, you know, you'll bring in a consultant. The consultant says, yeah, you need a new set. Yeah. Then they'll spend a yeah. million dollars on a set. They won't necessarily yeah. they'll redress everybody. They'll ask yeah. someone to lose weight. <laughs> and then they'll um, then all of a sudden they'll think that that's going to ch- they'll change the graphic set. Yeah. They change all of the look, but they. They don't change the journalistic ethic. They don't change yeah. the the code. That's a great point. I mean, and you think about it. I think, I think people really, you know, want substance. And I mean, that might be some of the, you know, some of what's driving this. When they see, as an example, fancier graphics and you know things that, 
you know, come at you with this sort of wow, you know, those are impressive graphics. Yeah. But they don't add to the substance. And, you know, I think people would like to see really compelling stories. Uh, you know, I, I know some of the journalists that I've worked with, you know, have done really good things in the field and have done some investigative reporting. Part of the problem, though, is as budgets get squeezed because, as an example, you can't monetize things that are online to the same degree, mm. uh, you know, as budgets get squeezed, investigative journalism tends to get squeezed as well because, you know, investigating things does carry a price tag. So, you know, to send a reporter out to cover something in depth is somewhat expensive. So, you know, that that can be sort of, you know, that can sort of be part of the problem as well. You know, where do we where do we come up with the resources to do the kinds of investigative reporting that that honestly would would restore faith in journalism? And I think that's that's the challenge of the future. I don't know how that's going to be resolved. I know that internet revenues are up in terms of ad revenue, but is that going to go back to you know helping with you know news production? Right. I'm not so sure. No, right, I'm yeah, really not so sure. And where will that money really go? Uh, let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Robert Trumpor um, from Penn State University. He's walking us through. The, the kind of the state of affairs in journalism. And um, we're going to come back, talk about should journalism become less professional? You know, should it just be information passing or uh, what his take on that is? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back. We are talking journalism today, and uh, is it becoming is it becoming less professional of a of a profession? It's, it's definitely taking a hit when it comes to the White House and all the you know accusations of of fake news and and you know bias. But uh, our guest today, Dr. Robert Trumpbor, is a research uh, a researcher and a professor, associate professor of communications at Penn State Altoona. And he's walking us through an article that he wrote, um, Should Journalism Become Less Professional? Uh, we appreciate you, Dr. Trumbor. Thank you again for your time. Thank you. It's great to be here. So when you say you, you think journalism, or, or you're asking the question, should journalism become less professional, um, it almost seems like it, it kind of is by, by just nature. It's just sliding down the profession scale. You know what? There's there's a weird there's a whole weirdness to it in that there are more there are more educated journalists out there, but the public perception is that it's a less professional yeah. occupation than it's ever been. And you know, just some some stats: about a third of editors and reporters in the 1960s never attended college. By you know, by 2015, you know, not too long ago, it was 8.3 percent never attended college. So that's a that's a pretty clear. Dip. Wow. Yeah. And you have a lot more people who are college educated as journalists. Um, and, you know, you also have sort of a metropolitanization of journalism to a degree. So as an example, you have a, a huge amount of journalists in, as an example, New York, Washington, D.C. and and Los Angeles. You know, and in fact, if you just look in Manhattan alone, just a tiny island that, you know, represents 
a very small slice of America, 13% of all journalists are employed in Manhattan. So that's, you know, you think about that, you know, you, you, you just look at the figures and there's sort of a, it might seem like it's getting less professional, but in a weird way, it, it, it's gotten more professional, mm. but people don't see that because what they see is the stories that weren't true. They see the, you know, and they see, as an example, maybe sloppily done stuff on a deadline. You know? Yeah. And, and I, you know, I think people naturally look at, you know, the things that aren't correct now and, and accentuate them to a greater degree than they used to. I mean, honestly, there, anyone can have a platform right now, even if it's a very small platform. As an example, you can go on to, you know, you can go on to Yahoo and just, you know, post on a bo- on a, at the end of a story and have your say in whether you think the current president is, you know, is good or bad. And, you know, so so because of that, if someone writes a story, people can you know, within seconds, just say that story's a piece of trash or that's fake news. Right. And that doesn't help matters either. No. I, in fact, I just saw a press, uh, um, a, a group of uh, journalists interviewing. And um, what when I was going through school in the 80s, the, the the favorite tool, all you needed to be a journalist really was some word processor and, yeah. um, you know, a notepad. Maybe a yeah, recorder, but nowadays these they all have their phones, but they also have uh, little devices that that are kind of steady cams for their phones, so they can shoot video. And they need sound, and they need to be able to have put up some tweets or put out tweets and memes, and write the article, shoot the video, uh, multimedia presentation. I mean, there's now. I mean, it's it's not like you just write it up anymore. Yeah, no, in fact, you know, the term convergence has become part of the media landscape. And now what, what's happening is journalists are expected to shoot video. They're expected to take pictures and they're expected to, uh, you know, maybe come back with some audio t- as well as they're covering stories. And, and do and the social media. Yeah. And, that, and, and yeah, then, you know, upload stuff so that they've got a blog going, you know, that mm. relates to the story they just posted. So, so you have, you have a lot of different things going on in journalism. You know, and I think, I think, you know, with, with newspapers and decline in readership of newspapers, I think newspapers are trying to do more and trying to push their workers to do more with less, you know, and, and the result is, I think the you know I think the result is that you know people are getting more forms of media, but by the same token, what's also happening is you have people who you know essentially never received journalistic training, just going out and covering stuff and throwing it up on their own websites, and I think that actually sometimes gets perceived as is mm. journalism when it may not be right because people don't people don't know and i think some people don't scrutinize carefully source credibility so that's a factor as well is so is this a is this an education problem is it because it's so interesting we have more and more journalists coming out of universities now and yet um people believe the standard is dropping yeah, I, you know, I think it, I think part of it is information overload. I mean, you think about it. There was a if you go back, you know, 150 years, 
people thought they could know everything that ever happened. Right. And and, and they actually believe that. So, and then you you fast forward about you know fifty you know fifty years to you know the turn of the century and you know the progressive era, and there was just so much information being put out there that people understood that you couldn't know everything, but you could know a lot of things. Now there's just so much information that just sifting through and figuring out what's true and false is an ongoing daily challenge. So, yeah. I mean, I just know in local political elections, you know, like we are, I'm in Pennsylvania, you know, it's raining today and it's, you know, and I get the morning newspaper and there's this squabble going on for this, the, the you know, the county sheriff election. And, you know, you don't know what's true and what's not. Right, because, right. Because, you know, there's, there's sort of intimation of, uh, you know, intimation of inappropriate activity and then pushback that I, what everything I did was appropriate. And, you know, and you don't, you honestly don't know which side is right. And I'm not sure if I ever will, but I'm going to go into the voting booth and, tr- and try to vote my conscience. Yeah. And, and it's a tough thing. And I think most citizens are in that same boat where you're, you're, you're dealing with information overload. You're dealing with uncertainty about who's credible and who's not. And we don't have we don't have this mode where you know we have a Walter Cronkite, who's you know that's the way it is, and you trust it implicitly, or you know we don't pick up the daily newspaper and say I trust everything in that newspaper. Mm. And I mean you know one of the great things about America is we do have a skepticism about things, but that's also that's also a double-edged sword in that if we're skeptical about everything, sometimes sometimes that undermines our institution. Yeah, and journalism is one of them. Do Do you notice that um, the because too it seems like more and more we can't necessarily distinguish between a pundit and a journalist, and yeah. a lot of times too we can't distinguish between um, the. Uh, I mean, how would you say it? I mean, yeah. we're hearing more and more stories about the actual journalist. Becoming yeah. news, you know, and it seems like back in the day, journalists didn't turn on journalists. Um, yeah. It was like there was this code of ethics, and there were certain things we didn't say, and there's certain things we didn't talk about that yeah. were still going on. You're, you know, you're making a, an outstanding point about you know the field, and I mean, you think about it. You know, like I'll I'll watch CNN or, or Fox or MSNBC, and I, and I I bounce around. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I try to be, you know, I try to be somewhat flexible in in what I'll watch. I, I try not to let the ideological slant dictate what I see. But what's really sort of bizarrely troubling about it, you know, when you talk about journalists versus pundits, you get these folks who are on there who are alleged experts on everything. You know, so so they're covering one issue. And then something radically different comes up, and all of a sudden they're commenting as though they yeah. have expertise on that other issue. And you know, is someone and you know this is someone who's you know who carefully tries to study things over a lifetime and tries to learn the nuances and subtleties of of certain issues. You know, these guys are not experts on you know, and they can't flip on a dime and become an expert instantly on something radically different. But they do that every day. Right. And I think, right. I think when the public sees that, they scratch their heads and say, you know, I think some people say, oh, that guy's really smart or, you know, that, that woman's, you know, brilliant. 
but I think most people say you can't know that much. You know, right. you're just sort of you're just sort of talking, you know, talking through it and trying to show that you know it. Mm-hmm. And, and, is and it, I think that that can be a problem. Well, and, and I guess too that's efficiency. So this is almost where it turns into the organizational needs of efficiency. You yeah. you, you don't want to have to fly in an expert on every topic. So instead, we're going to have. Our, you know, our legal expert that can report on anything from judiciary hearings to Supreme Court nominees to just any legal issue. And I I guess I guess in the end, it's once we're now running it like a business, you might inherit like I I look at Brian Williams that I think Mm -hmm. is one of the most talented uh, talkers. There, I mean, yeah. really, is a, just a talent. He's incredible, yeah. <laughs> but he it, his his little misspeak and and misdeed of misinforming about uh, his history um, that would have killed Cronkite, wouldn't it? I mean, oh, wouldn't yeah. that have that would have just gutted uh, Dan yeah. Rather? Absolutely, and you know, I have to say, I you know that to me, I, I'm mystified why Brian Williams thought he had to. You know, stretch the truth further yeah. than he did because he already had credibility. Right, and he's amazing. I think, him. yeah, yeah, and I think he's 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 very very talented. But I, you know, it's one of those sort of things where I I think you know maybe you know to get to the top there are some insecurities. I can only guess that you know yeah. what, what happens is you say well. You know, people might not trust me if I didn't do X and Y. So you stretch the truth a little. There's no need to do so. You know, That's true. I, I, I wish that didn't happen because honestly, that things like that diminish the credibility of journalists. And I, I know a lot of journalists who really work hard and really will. You know, they will present things the public doesn't want to see. And you know, honestly, I give them incredible credit for having the courage to do so at a time when people just want to shoot the messenger. Right. Well, and he also, if because he came up through the days of Dan Rather being in Vietnam, you know, and yeah. how do you, how do That's you do that? So you had to look like you were out in the field, helicopters yeah. landing behind you, napalm being dropped a mile yeah. away. And, um, <laughs> and meanwhile, you're terrified in Iraq. Yeah, no, you know, and I think that's part of, that's probably part of the problem. I mean, you think about it, Edward R. Murrow, you know, the legend at CBS before Cronkite, you know, it was, you know, was, was, uh, you know, was on a roof, rooftop, right. you know, during World War II, his bombs were coming down, yeah. doing radio reports. And then you have Dan Rather coming along, you know, after, you know, being in Vietnam and, you know, then the next generation might not have to do that. So, you know, they think that they've got to sort of juice up their credentials. And I, I think that's an unwise move. No, totally. Don't say, don't say you didn't do something you did. You know, you know, don't say you did something you didn't do. Even Hillary Clinton <laughs> got a taste of that one. <laughs> Actually, you're absolutely right. And those are the kind of things that I think, you know, the misstatement and the the, the the ridiculous bragging is going to cost you more than you know anything you might gain from it. Yeah, it seems like this is the day where what you can do is grow your own audience, and maybe if you kind of kept your uniqueness, uh, like you yeah. were talking about with Jimmy Breslin, and you could grow yeah. your own audience, then all of a sudden you bring your audience to these bigger networks if they want you. 
but you don't have to lose your personality. You know, you can you can um, what's Charles Krauthammer's a a pretty interesting personality. And it seems like he he's loyal, I guess, to Fox. But really, he's just his own persona. And you can be true to yourself and and go where you need to go. Yeah, and, you know, whether you agree or disagree with him ideologically, right. I, I do like the fact that, you know, he's his own person. Exactly. He doesn't feel like he needs sizzle. He just says what he thinks and lays it out there for people. Yeah, and I think that's there's cool. There's a lot of those, I think, around. Talk to us. We've only got a minute left or so, but talk to us, sure. Robert, about what happens if the fourth estate falls. So if journalism falls, uh, it's there for a reason, and um, yeah. it's it's free, pretty much to the rest of us. So what happens to America if we can't get our handle on this? You know, if journalism falls, I think we're a much poorer country. We we have much less to look forward to. I mean, I I think that the the press ought to be there to actually verify or debunk, you know, claimed facts. And if we don't have that, I mean, you know, you think about third world dictatorships, you know, they love they love having no journalists. They love just having their state journalists that they they pay to say what they think. And honestly, if you erode journalism to a point where we're there, that's a sad situation because you know we're not as great a nation as we could be. So I, I just think journalism is is an essential component of democracy, and I think democracy really thrives with transparency. So, you know, having that, I, I think on both edges, you know, having journalists being accountable, having politicians being accountable, you know, it's a messy process. I mean, you think about democracy itself, it's probably one of the messiest systems you could you could draw up. But in, in a sense, it's one of the greatest systems, because if you want to have input, it might be tough to get that input, but it's but the potential's there. Yeah, and I think that's that's something that that you know we all ought to be you know happy about, and we we're all very fortunate to be living in a nation that that has that. And I would hate to lose the press as part of that because I think the press is a vi- it should be a vibrant part of the democratic process. No, exactly. Amen. Thank you, Robert Trump. Our uh, great work, and keep up your uh, your great work there at Penn State uh, University as well, Altoona. Great uh, great discussion. Folks, the media matters, right? It's it's an important part of our lives. And uh, maybe if we selected better and held them to a higher standard, they too could perform to that standard. We'll take a break. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. you boy you too stupid to do what your coach tells you because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner play ball play ball you know it's so interesting to talk about journalism because a lot of our students around here that work uh, as producers on the show are journalism students i myself uh studied journalism and uh, as did of course jeffrey liam simpson who will be starting his new um, show in a few hours. Um, but one of the things that that I found is we, we have, you know, you hear of Woodward and Bernstein, the great uh, two reporters that blew open the, um, the Watergate, you know, investigation. And I wonder, honestly, if they would fly in today's media. Because they're just not – they're not 
they're they're just gruff. They're tough. Um, they don't seem to fit. They're not speaking in perfect little sound bites. And instead, we we talk about Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski getting engaged. So is it that the media is responding to what the people want or is it that uh, the people – the media is actually out there doing these incredibly powerful investigations and and they're a part of it. And what about all the leaking that we hear about in D.C.? And, and where are those leaks coming from? And are, how come they're leaking more to MSNBC or NBC than they are to Fox News? And are they leaking more? And who do you trust? I guess when it comes down to it, let's all remember that you're still you're still the audience. You're still the one turning it on. You're still the one watching it. If you don't like what you're seeing in the media, maybe quit complaining about it. And turn it off. One of the things since I bought my new car, I'm not listening to certain shows anymore because I haven't had the time to move my Sirius XM station to my new car. And you know what's amazing? I am sleeping a lot better at night. And I'm getting a lot of uh, – I have more peace and I'm learning more. So start leading your own media choices. And you know, if I were you, I would just start with the Matt Townsend show every morning. That's where I would start. And then screen cleaning on Fridays at 9. Screen cleaning on Fridays at 9 or 11 o'clock Eastern. We'll take a break, my friends, helping you along the way. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the latest, the greatest information, research, inspiration, just the ideas you need to make it through another day. Uh, and by the way, it's Friday. So if you Woo-hoo! make it through today, you can just then have a good weekend. But Won't if you don't, you can't. If you don't, you can't. And uh, great news. In one hour, we will be launching um, and debuting Jeffrey Liam Simpson's first official movie show. Thank you. Thank you. We're here all day. They're not all my family members, by the way. No. In fact, I saw your parole officer. He seems like a neat guy. He's very nice. Very, very nice. And uh, a lot of the guys from Cell Block 9 that have gotten out. That's neat, too. They're all celebrating Jeff's victory. Today, Jeff will be debuting the show um, during the Matt Townsend Show. The final hour of the week, we are going to turn over to him. It's called... Come on, you know it. It's called Screen Cleaning. Yes. Screen cleaning, which is where he's going to find all that is good and clean and and of good rapport in the movie and media world. And we do windows and we do screens. He'll we teach have squeegees you and to, sponges. Yeah, Got to clean your screen because your phones are very dirty. Yeah. Very dirty. And Jeff will walk you through how to how to get the dirt off your phone. Just a, just a hint. Windex, vinegar, and... A spoonful of sugar. Yes. There is going to be a Mary Poppins reference in the show, of by course the way. There is. Not that one. And the neat thing is uh, he he will have many visitors and guests. You'll hear a lot of different voices. Yeah. It's going to be great. No, guests. 
Yeah, guests. Because they're all coming from different people. Right, exactly. That's what I meant. Yeah. Um, so we'll get to that. That's in one hour from now. But uh, before that, we've got uh, – we're going to be talking today about being a friend versus being friendly. You got a friend in me. OK. Uh, we're not going to sing though. We're just going to talk to Brooke Romney about um, – she's a, a columnist and she she wrote a column about maybe it's time to to start being a friend instead of just being friendly. That's great. A lot of us are friendly, but we we don't – we're not a friend, right? So friends know a lot about their friends. Friendly is just – oh, yeah, he's really nice. Thank you for being a friend. You got a song for everything, don't you? Is that what's going to happen on your show, Screen Cleaning? It's just an hour of singing. <laughs> Luckily, you've got an okay voice, huh? While I uh, clean screens. I think that's neat. Um, so we'll be talking about uh, friends and how to be a friend versus being friendly, which, you know, everybody needs to learn. Uh, plus, we've got some interesting empty news that we'll be talking about, including um, a Minnesota woman finds a new home infested with snakes. Those are always fun. In her car? No, in a home. Oh, in her home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a man sits in front of a bus to protest not being allowed to board. So he stopped the bus basically by just sitting in front of it. Now, hope they saw him. We'll give you an update. All that fun, empty news, of course, um, plus, you know, everything else that we can do to just lift your life because it is Friday. And boy, are you lucky it's Friday. So first, let's get to uh, the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country we should be paying attention to? The government has test-fired a nuclear-capable intercontinental ballistic missile from a site in California, the second such launch in a week amid rising tensions with North Korea. The unarmed Minuteman 3 missile has a range of around 8,000 miles, putting it well within striking distance of North Korea. It blasted off just after midnight from Vandenberg Air Force Base, 150 miles northwest of Los Angeles, and delivered a single projectile to a test target approximately 4,000 miles away in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. As they feel as some sort of a, (laughs) hey, North Korea, we could do it too. You think you're the only one that can test? Except ours doesn't blow up. Yeah, ours actually Five minutes into flight. Um, the test took 10, minute, 10 months to plan, was the uh, latest design to check the readiness and accuracy of the weapon system that forms the uh, you know, defense for the United States. We have 400 or 450 such missiles, if you keep in count. Uber is facing a criminal investigation over its use of software tools called Grayball to evade cops and local transportation regulators. The ride-hailing company previously acknowledged that it used Grayball to avoid officials, official sting operations in areas like Portland, Oregon, where the service had not yet been approved. Lawyers for Uber and documents newly released by Portland officials have said the software was used exceedingly sparingly before the company was formally approved to operate in the city in 2015. The investigation is still in its early stages, not yet clear if the officials have determined any potential criminal violations. So apparently the city of Portland had some investigators that would go out and try to track and see if there was any Uber drivers operating in the city, and they would have to do that by using the app. Uber knew who these people were, so they were kind of spoofing their app to give them false locations of cars. So they'd go to a location, ah, nobody was there. You know, so some, yes. some shenanigans going on. They're calling <laughs> shenanigans. International drug cartel boss Joaquin El Chapo Guzman has addition, auditioned at least 16 private attorneys Ooh. over the last three months from his Manhattan federal jail, which he's not happy with. 
He doesn't like his accommodations. Uh, he says he still ha- he hasn't found a lawyer. He's not really happy with the 16 he's talked to. Him. The notorious drug kingpin is being represented by court-appointed public defenders, and he faces a string of complex charges that carry a mandatory minimum of life in prison. Guzman will reportedly have to provide evidence that any money he uses to pay for his legal fees did not come from any criminal enterprise. Oh, it came which from... is tough yeah. when everything he has has come from a criminal enterprise. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did have the he did have the banana stand. Might have been a laundering operation for his criminal enterprise. <laughs> There's always money in the banana so, stand. So he has a tough uh, road to hoe there to find some legal hmm. representation. And uh, you, last week, you came in with your fidget spinner. Yeah. Which yeah. apparently teachers across the nation are aggravated with because it's distracting yeah, kids it's in class. Yeah, it's making fidget. The woman who invented the fidget spinner getting absolutely no money for the fidget spinner. Oh, I bet she's mad. Not so much. She's a giver. Her name is Catherine Hedinger, the inventor of the toy. She isn't collecting any money off her idea. Somehow, she doesn't really seem to mind, though. Hedinger, who lives in Florida, held the patent on the toy for years, according to The Guardian, but has yet to give, uh, had to give it up in 2005 because she didn't have the money, the $400, for the renewal fee of the patent. Add that to the fact that she actually pitched the device to toy giant Hasbro 20 years ago and was turned down, though, of course, Hasbro now sells this toy. And uh, you can think uh, there'd be a lot of anger on her part, a lot of built-up frustration. Facing some financial difficulties of her own, she admits it would be nice to have made uh, made some money off that toy. She goes, I wouldn't have any problem. That would, would have been great. But uh, several, she says, several people have asked, aren't you really mad? But for me, she's just pleased that something I designed is something that people understand and it really works for them. And then right. there's the, you know, it might be therapeutic for people. It is. So. It is. I mean, it was fun. I brought it for a day and, you know, I might like to play with it once in a while, but it's kind of boring after a while. You're playing with it right now. I wish. I'm getting a little fidgety. Hmm. So she didn't make a dime. No money. She doesn't have the patent anymore. I feel bad for her. Yeah. Wait, I didn't hear. Did you, did yours arrive yet in the mail? No. Oh. <sighs> So how are you fidgeting now without a toy? I just tap things generally. Try not, I try not in here. It makes a lot of noise. Are you yeah. watching the Thor 3 trailer over and over and over again in there? No, I've seen it enough. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's not bring up movies till your show. Oh, sorry. We'll limit it to ne- the 9 o'clock hour. If you could just, uh, yeah, we'd appreciate that. Thank you. Not to be rude. Um, Minnesota woman finds a new home infested with snakes. Snakes in a home. I'm still trying to get used to the car I bought. I, I have a little buyer's remorse. But if a, if it was infested with snakes, that would be a whole other problem. Right. Imagine buying a new home and the home's infested with snakes. A Minnesota mother who moved into the new home with her kids said the previous owners forgot to mention something, a snake infestation that cost her $13,000 to clear up. I mean, I get one snake. We left a snake. You know, you leave a snake somewhere. Right. Honey, where's that snake? I don't know. Let's just go. You find a garter snake in the backyard. Yeah, no big deal. $13,000. Angie Whiteley said it wasn't until 45 minutes after she closed on her home in October that she realized there was something amiss about her new house. I brought my, uh, my first sort of box here into the bedroom, and I found a snake. Whitley said, one quickly turned into three, four, five. Today, six months later, I'm at about 95 snakes Mm-mm. inside of my house. Unbelievable. Hundreds more garter snakes have been found outside the home, she said. From what I've heard from the experts who have come out, they tell me that there's no way uh, this just started. 
The previous owners told her they had no idea about the snake infestation. What? We were just moving to a <laughs> new neighborhood. New information. You yeah. know how many fidget toys you can buy with thirteen thousand dollars? Oh yeah, thirteen thousand. By the way, yeah, I guess snakes so. yeah. make good fidget toys too. Do you know how you fight snakes? How do you fight a snake? Pet Wolverine. Oh really? They'll attack a snake. Well, until all of a sudden your Wolverine is um, attacking your child. Well, I mean, I mean, there's a downside. Well, yeah. I, I but just it beats saw, chemicals. Yeah, I just saw a stuffed Wolverine at the Bean Museum, and yeah. I was a little disappointed. I thought it would have you know big sideburns and really long claws. You're talking about yeah. the movie. This like is, a, this no, is, I did, a, you can I did, use that example you, on your show. No, you used that. That was those were your words. Movies. By the way, the snake story reminds me. Of a Samuel L. Jackson moving picture. Presentation. Really? Entertainment. Is feature. it snakes in a is it snakes in a in some sort of vehicle? No, I think it's just snakes in a house. Hmm. That would be a great I think it's I think it's called Snakes in Da House. In Da House. Yo. Uh, anyway, now her lawyer uh, is involved and they may go to arbitration. By the way, it seems like if you had a what do they call them? Um if somebody looked at your house and and uh, inspected your house, yeah. would would they not find a snake? People always want to skip the pre-inspection. You know, like, ah, it's okay. The house looks good. Well, you may want to do that. We don't need to go in the crawl space. Yeah. Hey, how do we know that you didn't bring the snakes in? <laughs> how do we know that? <laughs> Boy, that's pretty gross. Uh, a man refused to en- uh, entry onto the New Zealand bus was filmed sitting down in front of the vehicle to prevent it from leaving. Hmm. It was kind of – That's an effective protest. Yeah, it was a tribute to um, Tiananmen Square, hmm. kind of a tribute. Witnesses said the man attempted to catch the bus as it pulled away from the stop Tuesday morning outside the hotel in Auckland and apparently became irate when the driver did not stop to let him board. The man then approached the front of the bus – put both hands on the bus as if to try to push it backwards. According to reports, witnesses said the driver had the passengers get off the bus while they waited for the police to arrive. He was spoken to by police, and during this time, the bus continued on its way. No arrests were made. Hmm. He now, tried, what a, to, tried to push the yeah, bus. Four, four snakes were, though, deposited on the bus by the man. What about that other story where somebody or something was blocking somebody in their car or their vehicle? What about that? You didn't see that that one? No, I saw it. Oh. I was saving it until right now. And it's now. Um, You're doing your show? Oh, okay. In an hour? Let me just do my show. I'll just turn off my mic. (laughs) He turned off his mic before he was done talking. Such a rookie move. Mm. Such a rookie move. But by the way, he's got a great show. Screen cleaning in one hour. In about, screen cleaning is about 40 minutes from right now. He's not talking anymore. A Georgia man uh, trying to leave work for lunch found his path blocked by a pair of turkeys that refused to clear the way. Here's sound from the scene. A video of the encounter shows two turkeys blocking the path of a man attempting to drive out of a parking lot. The turkeys pay no attention to the honking of the man's horn, leading him to try reasoning with them. Excuse with, me, with, sir. With the turkeys? Mm-hmm. You just talk to them. I don't know if you... Have you been around many turkeys? Uh, I mean, other than us, of course. Oh, okay. No. Uh, you just talk to them. They're very... They're very... Will, they're very influential. A verbal animal. Mm-hmm. 
Excuse me, sir. I'd like to go get lunch now, the man says. All right, birds, you win. The man jokes. Am I being detained? (laughs) The man attempts to drive around the turkeys, but they follow his car and continue to block the path. I'm being held hostage, the man says. See, turkeys are strange. About was it last month? There was a like a, a cat, yeah. someplace that died, and then a group of turkeys like showed up and started walking around in a circle around the turkey, around the dead oh, cat. Yeah. No, that's a turkey ritual. Right? Yeah, and then now the turkeys are blo- are, are turkeys rising up? Yeah. Are they fighting back after See, all every, these years of uh-huh. Thanksgiving? And everyone's worried about a zombie apocalypse. It's the turkeys you need to worry about. Mm. By the way, that sounds like a, ga- a great catchphrase. Am I being detained? <laughs> catchphrase for what? I don't know. A show? A show. Our show? Okay. So, I mean, we... Like a radio show. We say it so often on the show. That's right. Hey, am I being detained here? <laughs> By the way, in that in that laugh track, there's a lady... That you can just tell is just loving it. Hold on. Say it again. Hey, am I being detained? (laughs) Right there. Wow. Dead. Anyway, um, yeah, so there is an uprising of turkeys. And you know what you do when there's an uprising of turkeys? Thanksgiving. Problem solved. Nummy, nummy, nummy. We'll take a break. When we come back, folks, we're going to be talking about being a friend versus being friendly. It's one thing to be nice. It's another thing to actually connect with other human beings. I'll be there for you. And if you want more of those wonderful songs, renditions, join Screen Cleaning at 11 o'clock Eastern. Nine Mountain Time. We'll take a break. Coming back, talking friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we all have good intentions when it comes to our friendships. It's hard to make developing and sustaining a relationship one of our top priorities in life because we're so busy. We have so much going on with our own families, with our own life, and our own profession. All of this stuff makes us uh, makes it sometimes that our friendships aren't as deep as maybe they need to be. So um, I found a wonderful blogger and columnist, uh, Brooke Romney, and uh, just a great person, and she wrote an article um, titled Being a Friend Versus Being Friendly. It's uh, on her blog. It's time to stop just being friendly and start being a friend. Um, you can find more about Brooke by going to her website, brookromney.com. Brooke, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, Matt. So excited to be with you. Good to talk to you. I love your family and your mom and dad. You got, you, you got some good genes there, Brooke. I got lucky, didn't I? You totally did. You hit payday. <laughs> hey, so here's the question. Um, you're, you tell really a very touching story about it's time to just stop being friendly and being a friend. Maybe tell us how you got on this topic um, by losing a friend. Well, it was a couple of years ago, and um, a new woman had moved in right behind our house, and she was a widow and had two children. And 
we enjoyed each other over the backyard fence. We um, took each other's kids and, you know, I stopped by, I said hello and things like that. But every time um, I hurried off, I felt like I should really stick around. I should really invite her over. Um, I should really open my circle a little bit more in my life and let them come into it. And about two years ago, um, she passed away in her sleep, mm. and her kids um, were the people that found her. And um, what I realized in that moment, first, I was mostly concerned for her two sweet children, yeah. who have actually found a wonderful, um, loving family to be with. But I had that really intense, difficult feeling of a missed opportunity to do what I should have done, and to go beyond being friendly and just nice and helpful and smiley. And I really should have been her friend. And it was one of those moments where you realize it was too late. Mm. And so it got me thinking, um, I don't ever want to be in that situation again. I don't want to ever lose someone and wonder if they knew that I was their friend. Mm. And because it's different, isn't it? Being nice, being cordial, being appropriately friendly is different than being a friend. It's really different. You know, I, you know, we took cookies to them and we said hi and I helped her when she moved in and things like that. But, you know, there were so many things about her that I didn't know. As we went to the funeral, I realized I had missed out on knowing somebody that was really fantastic and maybe having an opportunity in my life, not only for her to be her friend, but for her to be my friend and to really grow a relationship that could have been a really beautiful thing for both of us and for our children, too. Mm. And you, it's funny, we don't, we don't get the regrets, you know, until they're gone and, and, and gone tragically like that and quickly like that is, but you were also saying that you were being, you kind of had little promptings, little inclinations that maybe you should have been opening your circle up more. That was probably the most difficult thing because, you know, a lot of people ask me questions about the article. They said, I can't be everyone's friend or everybody's close friend friend, which is true. You know, we don't all have time to do that. And so I think the difference for me in this situation was that I felt like I was supposed to be her close friend. And so I had those promptings. I had those nudges. And I really kept thinking, I'm going to do this. Um, I'm going to have their family over. I'm going to get to know her. I'm going to invite her out to go get dessert. And so we can really talk and get to know each other without the kids around. But life just gets in the way. There's emails and carpools and our own families and our own children and, you know, our work and things that we do that all seem very important. And then the situation changes and you realize all of those things could have waited, Mm. but maybe that friendship couldn't have. Well, and and again, um, because again, everyone will say, well, you can't be that to everybody, but knowing in your heart there was something special for you to be doing with this woman um, I guess th- that really is, I think, what made your writing in this blog entry so powerful because it's real. You're so real in how you write, and you you don't pretty it up. You just you just tell it like it is. And I, I it almost I almost feel like every one of us is missing an opportunity or two or three like that. And what would happen to lives if we could just maybe get a third of them right? You know, you're right, and I um. I actually lost another friend this fall who I wasn't especially close to, um, you know, like not a daily close to person. Yeah. But I felt like I had made the efforts that I was supposed to make to let her know that I loved her and cared about her. And 
it was such a different feeling when she was gone. Um, there was a lot of peace in knowing that she did know I was her friend. And I hope that, you know, those experiences that I had changed me enough that I did things a little differently. And it was interesting because I didn't do so much for her. I didn't, you know, take her kids or spend all kinds of time. But I did what I was prompted to do to let her know that I loved her and cared about her in the way that I was supposed to do that. And it was a much different feeling when she was gone than when my other friend was gone. Isn't there? It's interesting. There's, I guess, more of a piece that you were where you needed to be in the right. relationship. Uh, yeah. Powerful. Does um, how, so? How do you how how do you be a better friend? What what helps us dig the friendship in deeper? Well, one of the things that I said that kind of resonated with the people who read the article was that friendship is sometimes inconvenient. And I think that, you know, we're all so busy and we're taught all the time, you know, you need to set boundaries, you need to say no, you need to keep things healthy, you know, but sometimes there's someone who needs us and it's not very convenient and we have to go out of our way and we have to say, okay, you know, today I'm not going to get my house clean because this gal's sitting on her driveway with her kids and she looks like she needs to chat with somebody. So I'm going to stop and we're going to eat French toast and and that's all right Mm -hmm. today. And so I think we need to just be a little bit more aware of the people around us and maybe open up. I think with friendship, um, it's really helpful when people are willing to share their heart and some of their struggles. It's always difficult for me to get close to someone who seems to have everything going just fine or all put together. I think when we want want a deeper friendship, we have to open up a little bit and share some of our struggles and share what we're going through and then let other people share too. Um, Being real doing more than just, you know, I have a little example. When I had three little boys, three and under, my days were really long, and I felt like all I needed was someone to talk to to just get through the next hour. And a lot of times people would do nice things. They would drop off cookies or they would bring dinner, and it was wonderful. The gestures were fantastic. But I would have been more happy if they would have come and sat on my couch and just kept me company for a minute just to break up the monotony of, three tiny kids. Yeah. So sometimes we just have to be a little bit more in tune and be willing to slow down a little bit so we can give people an opportunity to get to know us and for us to get to know them. It's almost like um, we we want to grow a friendship, so we we kind of turn it into a goal. We, make, we put it on our list. We remember, hey, I ought to run a meal to that person or surprise them with whatever, a drink or whatever. But... Um, then, but so it's almost a, it's a, it's a, we've given ourselves some, you know, active skill or active activity to go do for them, some, some act of service. But you're saying more than, you know, identifying it, you, you actually need to be moved in the moment. You need to be present in the moment instead of it being a, a, just something off the list to do. It actually needs to foster connection. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting because, Everybody is a different degree of an introvert and an extrovert, and everybody feels comfortable doing certain things. Right. So I did have somebody say, you know, I feel awkward. I feel awkward starting a friendship. It's weird to me, and I don't know how to do it. And in that case, you know, sometimes a gift is helpful. You know, yeah, bringing it's a easy. drink and yeah. saying, hey, you know, just thinking about you. And what I found that's so interesting is we always feel like it's going to be awkward or we always feel like we're going to feel stupid. But every time you do it, you know, I have never 
done something nice for somebody or stops by to say hi and think, oh, that was weird. I mm. bet they thought that was weird after I did it. Yeah. It's always before. <laughs> and I think so it's true. because we're thinking about us. We're thinking about ourselves and how we're going to feel about this instead of how the other person is going to feel. And to be honest, if somebody stops by my house with a drink or a cookie and says like, hey, I was just thinking about you. Like, how, is, how are things going? Never once have I thought, oh, that was weird of them. What a weirdo. <laughs> sure, I'll eat your cookie, but that was weird. Yeah, no one thinks and that. Nobody thinks that. And, you know, it's really, it is helpful for some people. You know, I suggest, I had a young mom who said, I feel like I should do things, but, you know, my life is a mess. I can barely get my stuff together for my own family. Right. So what can I do? I can't make dinner for somebody. That's overwhelming to me. And so I suggested, you know, have a couple good chocolate bars on hand or stop and grab them a drink from the gas station. You know, it doesn't, sometimes I think we get overwhelmed because we think, okay, I'm going to start this friendship. So how am I going to start it? I'm going to bring a great dinner or I'm going to invite them over and I'm going to cook something fabulous or I'm going to plan a big birthday party for them. And it's really just the little things. I've found people enjoy the one-on-one moment mm-hmm. a lot more than the big gestures. You, you made that's such a good idea because you're right. Like, and honestly, it could be as simple as you even said, like, go buy it in bulk, like go find the perfect yeah. little treat and buy it in bulk and then just have it with you. And, you know, on your way home, find somebody where you can touch a life. I mean, and it might even just be your bank teller. It might be, so true. you know, the cop that pulled you over. Maybe you can get out of the ticket. Who knows? <laughs> but, but I guess what you're saying is it's, it's, just simplify the process. And if you need, you know, a treat in order to kind of break the ice so you don't feel as strange, fine, do that. But, but do it. Yeah, just, it's just, it's just doing it. You know, even I find offering a compliment. I had a gal text me the other day that just said, Hey, I'm so grateful you moved into our neighborhood. I'm so grateful for our friendship. And it changed my day. And, you know, every time I see that person, Instead of thinking, oh, you know, are we friends? I think like, yeah, we're friends. Like, Mm -hmm. she she likes me. We have this connection. And I think sometimes it's just, it can be even as small as a text to change the day or the life or even the relationship you have with someone. And are there seasons of this, Brooke? Because I can also see there's the mom, postpartum, a little bit depressed, maybe down, not feeling herself. And um, the idea of thinking that now I got to worry about others is just too much right now, but maybe it is. That's okay. Then don't just, but, but know that there's a season and when you're riding the wave and you're up a little bit more, reach out more. Yeah. And you know, I would even say, you know, when you are down, maybe try the text thing, Mm, you know, maybe just do, just do the really, really little things. You're not going to go make a meal for someone when you're barely surviving. But, you know, I noticed too, when I, Sometimes when we're in a rough spot, we don't want to open up, and sometimes that's exactly what we need. So when someone comes and brings you a meal or when someone offers friendship or offers to do something, accept that. Be on the receiving end of friendship for a little bit and let someone take care of Hmm. you for a minute because that opens it up. And I, so often I think we're not close to people because we don't serve each other and we don't let each other serve us. We want to stay in this box of, I've got it all together. And that is just not a place where we're open for love and friendship. 
So if you're struggling and someone offers to help you or to love you, it's difficult, but let them. Let them in. That's the way we grow each other and we grow our relationships. We can't grow if we never let anyone in. And so I think when you're in a tough spot, instead of worrying about how to reach out, let others reach out to you and accept it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, because it's so easy to say, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And it's interesting, what would happen if we all started becoming more attuned to each other? And how powerful would that be that your friends and neighbors and acquaintances were noticing when you needed to be lifted and how powerful if you could notice when they did? Then then we all are actually literally serving each other and lifting each other to a higher plane. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, there's there's times when I need someone to serve me and when I let someone serve me, all of a sudden we have an immediate friendship and a connection because I've let someone into my life. Right. And then we're more attuned when they need something and when someone else needs something and we can band together to really lift each other as a whole. Powerful. Good stuff, Brooke. Let's take a break, come back, continue this journey of understanding when uh, what's the difference between being a friend, truly being a friend and being friendly and the difference it can make in our lives. We're talking with Brooke Romney. If you go to her website, brookromney.com, great uh, resource, great uh, insight from a blogger and columnist uh, at Deseret News. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone is blogger and columnist Brooke Romney. She's a freelance writer uh, who resides in Caseville, Utah, with her husband and four active boys and is a columnist for the Deseret News. Um, She also enjoys speech, business, and political writing and hopes to one day start and finish the book that keeps playing out in her head. Uh, And we're honored to have you on the show, Brooke. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Talk about, um, we were talking about friends and how our goal really should be maybe to be a friend instead of just being friendly, especially to the the places and the people where we feel called or inspired or prompted to, to become a friend. What would you say to those parents out there that might be, or just the people out there that might be thinking, you know, I don't have any friends. Like, I... I don't I don't have a, a place, you know, where I'm meeting a lot of people. How do you go about finding friends? Well, it was interesting because when they published the article on Deseret News, I my heart broke. I got so many emails from people who said how lonely they are and mm-hmm. how difficult it has been for them to make friends and how they feel every day like they just wish they had a friend. And honestly, it just broke my heart. Mm. I have been in that spot before. Um, we've actually moved nine times. And so every time I get to a new spot, I think, oh man, you know, here we go. I've got to start all over. And, and while you have friends, and, and most of these people probably have friends yeah, on the some, phone or right. family who's friends, but you know, just those people that you can count on that will stop by, that care, that love you, that are close by, you know, there's a difference. And we all need that. And so the first thing that, that I would say to people is, what have you done to be a friend? 
And it's really easy if we are new to an area or maybe if we have a personality that's less comfortable going out out of our way to make friends to expect people to be our friend or to feel entitled that someone should come to you. But in my experience, it just rarely happens. And I wish it happened more. Right. But it just doesn't. And so I think what we need to do is we need to make the effort to be friends with other people. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, You can do what is comfortable for you. If you like to cook, you can have people to your home. If you don't, you can invite a couple people to go out to dinner with you. Um, You're going to have to make some effort to start those friendships. And the thing is, it takes a long time. And I think sometimes we're hard on ourselves because we think, oh, you know, I should have friends. But in my experience, minimum of a year before you really feel like, you know, you've you've got a friend somewhere. Yeah. Don't you feel like it's sometimes we, we... Our friends are our family. They're the people around us. Um, But then, you know, they go away. They move away. Changes happen. And lonely, I guess it's if you are an introvert, it's easy to be lonely. And at first you might enjoy it. And then all of a sudden the next thing you know, you're not skilled. So some of becoming a friend is our basic skills. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is, is saying yes. You know, if someone invites you to do something, even if you don't love it, you got to go. Yeah, just do it. You got to go so right. you can have opportunities to make these friends. The other thing that I've noticed is there's sometimes, it's almost just like we're back in middle school. There's this group of people that everyone wants to be friends with. And they might not have any more room in their group of friends. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. But sometimes we're looking in the wrong place for friendship. And sometimes if we just kind of turn our eyes to the side, maybe someone else is sort of on the periphery and would love to be your friend. Mm. And that's a relationship that you can grow. Um, Like we've said, everyone can't be everyone's friend. It seems like there's always that woman in the neighborhood that she's so great and she's so kind and she's so much fun that everyone wants to be her best friend, but she doesn't have room to be everyone else's best friend. And so sometimes we need to say, okay, she's great and I enjoy her as a fun acquaintance and she's very friendly, but I'm going to look somewhere else for a deeper friendship. Yeah. Um, a lot of times we don't understand what's going on in other people's lives. So we might try to be someone else's friend and really put effort in and we don't get that reciprocation, but maybe they're taking care of a parent who is struggling or a child who is struggling or, you know, as, as bummer as it is for some of us, Maybe they have a mom and a sister and a sister-in-law right down the street, and that's who they go to, and so they don't need us. So it's really helpful if you want to be close friends with someone to look for someone who also needs a friend. Hmm. Yeah, and then it's reciprocal. Is And I guess you, you what you've also taught us today is you can always enlarge your circle. Like I mean, because it's not like I have this permanent obligation to you to entertain you every day if I allow one more person in to your, my world. You even mentioned, you know, if you're going to the park, just broaden your circle by texting more mothers that you're going to the park if, if they want to come by. Yes, I think it's funny. You know, I've got a middle schooler and I've got elementary kids and, and we always talk about inclusion, right? Yeah. Include people. Let everyone come play. And it's funny, as we become adults, it's a lot easier for us to say, well, I've kind of done that. And now I'd like to have my four people that I really enjoy. And I don't necessarily think it's a problem to have four really close friends. 
But when you're doing something that is open, let, let more people come. Give them a chance to be your friend. Give them a chance. Give yourself a chance to make a new friend. You know, things like parks or going out to lunch or, you know, even small things like when you know someone's son is on the same soccer team, don't just carpool with one mom. Call the other mom and say, hey, you know, does your son want to ride with us? Can we work something out? Mm-hmm. You know, just broaden, broaden your group, broaden your friendships. The, the interesting thing is, is I've lived in different places at different times in my life. And the people that I have remained closest to are not necessarily the people that I thought would be my closest friends. And so if we never give someone different from us, somebody who's a different age or a different religion or a different socioeconomic status or has children different ages a chance, I think we're really missing out on some of these wonderful deep friendships that we could have. So true. And and just and learnings. And and also, I guess, if if you are being effective at this, you also would have fewer regrets, maybe fewer people you felt prompted to talk to but or, or become closer to that you that you failed to do that. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, I think there's such a beauty in diverse friendships, too. I am so grateful for my neighbors who are one stage ahead of me in life, who have taught me so much and who let my kids leave bikes in their yard and toys in their yard and love me anyway (laughs) and teach me about gardening and help me understand that, you know, this, middle school time is not the end all be all and that life moves on and kids are fine and they grow up. It's been so great. And had I stayed closed off or thought, Oh, we don't have anything in common or just close my garage and run into my house. Some of these friendships are my favorite things in my life right now. And it's not because we do the same things and think the same things and wear the same things It's because we love each other and we've made these connections. Isn't that great? And it's such – there's so much to offer generation with generational differences, ethnic differences, religious differences, to be able to understand another religion or another uh, – just another you know, ethnic tradition. How powerful could that be for you and your family? It's been wonderful. I mean, we lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where um, most of my children's friends in their school were not close to our religion, our ethnicity. And we learned so many great things from them. We had different traditions that we celebrated with them. And I felt like it really enriched our lives. It, it made us grateful for the traditions we have and opened our eyes to things from other cultures and the way that other people believe and think and see the world. And it was a really wonderful experience for me. And so sometimes we need to seek after those because they won't be the easiest friendships. It will be easiest to be friends with people who are your same everything but yeah. we really miss out when we don't open up. So, so true. Well, Brooke, we appreciate you. It's, uh, it really is. It's great insight, and I think it's a great goal for all of us to be more, uh, more of a friend and, and take our friendships deeper and, and still you know, master the friendliness factor, but uh, take the friendships much deeper. Go to her website, brookromney.com, wonderful blog, and just, just wonderful ideas to keep inspiring you to become a better person and a better friend. BrookeRomney.com. We will have Brooke back on the show. That is for sure. She's now a friend. We will take a break, my friends. We come back to a little Coach's Corner. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. 
coach would have put me in fourth quarter, we'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! You know, um, as we talk about friends with Brooke Romney, um, it's one thing to go be the friend to the, the person on the other side of the fence, be the nice mom that's friends with the other moms at the ball game or whatever. But what about being close to your partner? And what can you learn about having a close relationship with your partner? De- well, Deborah Tannen is one of my favorite um, researchers. She's a linguist, and she uh, has written a book. She's written a lot of books. One book was about the differences between men and women and communication styles. But she wrote another book called You're the Only One I Can Tell, Inside the Language of Women's Friendships. And she found she basically just studied what women call or would deem a close relationship. And she found some very interesting differences in what women with their close friends feel like they're getting. And it might be a really important learning for us guys, okay? Here's a couple of examples of it. Um, first thing that I, I suggest is that you maybe with your spouse could sit down because when your wife is sitting there saying, I just don't feel like we're close anymore, don't assume you know what that means. Because um, one of the things Deborah Tannen found is that when women talk about closeness, they actually mean that they're emotionally connected to you or intimately close. Um, kind of like you can just – you may not have talked to somebody for years, but emotionally you're at the exact same spot when you're back with each other telling the stories again. When um, you know they are pushed about what closeness means to them, it usually means that they've had in-depth conversations, they've bonded, and they've shared emotion. Interestingly, when men talk about close relationships, they don't usually necessarily mean emotionally close as they might mean that they spent a lot of time with you. Or they have a lot of things in common with you. So it's the commonality, like maybe they share similar traits or hobbies that might make a guy more close to a a buddy or a friend than the woman. The woman actually wants to have an emotional experience. Another thing you could talk about is how much do we really need to share to be close? Women, according to Dr. Tannen, um, she's found that women like to share a lot of details with each other. And in the sharing of the details, they feel there's closeness because now their friend knows so many little facts about them. There's so many little details that they now know, and the more they know, the more close they are. Isn't that interesting? They actually, um, in her research, she found that females equate more information with more security, which is such an interesting idea um, because in in general, a lot of times guys may want to not always share all the data, (laughs) keep some secrets, you know, not be able – not have to tell you everything – um, but in a weird way, that that might be why your wife doesn't feel like you're as close, guys, because you never you never tell her what you're really thinking. You never tell her what's in your heart. Another thing is about how vulnerable you'll be. The research by Deborah Tannen found that women um, that actually can cry together are closer. So if I cry and I share my pain and you cry with me and share your pain, then we have now bonded because we've both cried together. But that is such a vulnerable thing, right? Or if you share your secrets with me and I share my secrets with you, I have that that sense of closeness. Again, guys, that may not be what you're looking for. You may be thinking, that's crazy. Why would I ever be so close as that? But in all honesty, if that's what women need to feel close to you, then know it. 
understand it and do what you can to share a little bit more of your vulnerability. It doesn't mean you have to break down and cry every time, but it honestly probably wouldn't help. Anyway, a few basic ideas about what would make it a little easier for you. The number one rule of overall is just listen. The thing that most uh, made women most close to each other in their friendships is just to have somebody that would listen. So guys, let's just try to listen a little bit more. Be there. Be an opening, uh, an open mind and an open ear. That's it, folks. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, the, the debut of Screen Cleaning with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, getting you launched for your great weekend. Just when you thought it was safe to get back in your car, we play a movie clip from the new edge-of-your-seat thriller that'll make you think twice before speeding. Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews gives us his take on this weekend's biggest movie release and whether or not it deserves its PG-13 rating. Jeff and his mystery guests share a good cry and maybe a pint of Ben & Jerry's as they swap breakup stories. And then we look for the good in the bad and the ugly. It's time for Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. Here's your host, Jeff Simpson. Thank you. Wow, what a great introduction there. Hello and welcome to Screen Cleaning. This is a brand new show, and uh, it's a show within a show, really, because every Friday at 9 o'clock on the Matt Townsend Show, we'll be bringing you all the entertainment news and topics you won't want to miss. But more than just that, we'll be bringing you exclusive trailers, serious interviews regarding every facet of the entertainment business. Plus, do you struggle to find quality entertainment for your whole family? Not just passable entertainment, uh, but quality entertainment. Well, we're going to help you find it. We're going to shine a big old spotlight on the best entertainment around. And uh, also, do you enjoy listening to Matt Townsend, but like me, you wish he would just lighten up a little and not be afraid to have some fun? Well, Mary Poppins put it best, in every show that must be done, there is an element of fun. And that's what screen cleaning is all about. So let's kick things off by giving you a recap of the latest and very best in entertainment news. In the best sequel news, the incomparable Jeff Goldblum will reprise his role of Dr. Ian Malcolm in next summer's sure-to-be-blockbuster film Jurassic World 2, which opens June 7, 2018. And the only thing better than Goldblum in a Jurassic Park sequel? How about Goldblum singing about Jurassic Park? In Jurassic Park, scary in the dark. I'm so scared that I'll be eaten. Oh, he's just the best. And the best in Hollywood news, at the 11th hour, the writers and producers of our beloved television shows reached an agreement that averted the strike that could have put a huge damper on my Monday and Wednesday nights. Whew! Now I can continue enjoying new episodes of Dateline. Don't judge me. Best sports news, everyone's favorite baseball team, the Los Angeles Dodgers, hit three consecutive home runs in the bottom of the ninth in the come-from-behind win over the Phillies. Fly ball to left field. That's well hit. It's on its way, and it is gone. Swings away, belts one down the right field line. It is gone. Swing and a drive. Absolute madness. Okay, so maybe they're not everybody's favorite team, but uh, in the words of Chris Farley... That was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) 
Couldn't agree more, Chris. Couldn't agree more. The best in late night news, Jimmy Kimmel's heartfelt story of his son's heart surgery reminded us all that despite the clear disconnect between Hollywood and the rest of America, we are all basically the same when it comes to the love of family. Our thoughts and prayers go out to Kimmel's family and really any other family that has a baby or a loved one in the hospital and uh, struggles with, with paying for their medical bills. And finally, the best in the movie teaser news, the new film Dirty Hair Dryer isn't a complete work of fiction. In fact, the story was ripped straight from the headlines. Get this. Residents of a neighborhood in Scotland posed as police officers and armed themselves with hair dryers and reflective vests to combat speeding drivers who have placed residents in danger by exceeding speeds of 60 miles per hour along a stretch of road leading out of the area. Well, we've got a clip from Dirty Hair Dryer, the new film which stars the virile Clint Eastwood. All you speeders out there need to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punks? I know what you're thinking. Did he use a 110-volt hair dryer or a 220-volt hair dryer? Well, to tell you the truth, in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. Now, that was an exclusive clip that you won't hear anywhere else. And as I said, only the best here on screen cleaning. Wow, what a suspenseful sounding movie. And by the way, I am joined here by uh, Cole Wessinger. Did I pronounce your name right? Close enough. Cole okay. Wessinger. Okay. Cole is going to be running uh, the board on screen cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. And he also says that he is a uh, basically a walking encyclopedia of movies. Is that right, Cole? I didn't use it in such long <laughs> words, but yeah, sure. Let's go All right. That. Well, at some point, you and I probably ought to have some kind of a a movie trivia standoff or contest. Bring it on, Jeff. Hmm. Sounds like a good challenge. You know, I'm really excited about that movie, Dirty Hair Dryer, by the way, because. I you know you always hear about Clint Eastwood saying, "Oh, this is absolutely the last movie that I'm going to act in," and then he seems to do one more. Always finds another, and always finds something to do behind the camera or right. Otherwise. Well, with material like Dirty Hair Dryer, how could you pass that up, right? Exactly. You take one look at the script and you can't say no. <laughs> All right. Well, up next, we'll be speaking with our good friend Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews who will be reviewing this weekend's biggest release, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Stick with us. This is Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. We will be right back. sound means that music means we're going to be speaking with rod gustafson from parentpreviews.com who he, rod is a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective and uh, as he shared with us during the break he is back from beautiful southern california where he was uh, there for a very special event rod welcome to the show hey hello jeff how are you 
Good. I, you know, I forgot to mention to you the name of this show is Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. All right. Well, you know, I <laughs> could use a little screen cleaning around my house. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so welcome back to, well, you're not in the States anymore, but welcome back to your homeland in Canada. And uh, thanks for well, being on the show. Oh, you are more than welcome. Happy to happy to be here once again. And I actually, I'm I'm really excited about the the new show. This sounds wonderful, and I love the I really do. That's a wonderful name. Great. Well, hey, happy Cinco de Mayo. I forgot to mention. And uh, thanks for sharing it with oh, thank us. You. Yeah. So you're going to be talking to us today about the the weekend's really only movie release, if you think about numbers, uh, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. So what did you think? Well, you know, I I I had a love hate relationship with Volume One, and which of course was the original. It wasn't called Volume One, but I and I say a love hate relationship because often I go to these movies and I've got the parent previews hat on, but then of course I'm just like any other person. Sometimes you see a movie and you think, well, that's really funny, but wait a minute, there's just some stuff in there that. I don't know that I want my kids to see, and maybe even I'm wondering, is this really something I should be I should be laughing at? And I kind of went through that a little bit with the first one, but we gave it a B minus. It was right on the line. Unfortunately, this one kind of falls below the line. It really I, I, was, I was disappointed in it. Yeah. Now, having said that, Jeff, this thing's going to make a ton of money because exactly what you just said a moment ago. It's got a wide open playing field this weekend, pretty much in the theaters. There's not much else competing against it, and uh, and there is a lot of pent up demand for this one because the original Guardians of the Galaxy didn't make a whole. Well, I mean, it made a lot. It made a lot of money, but it didn't really blast on opening weekend. It was word of mouth. It was people saying, "Wow, you gotta go see this movie," and so that has built up. And so, as I tell you that. You know, we're giving this one a lesser grade. By no means am I saying it's not going to make a ton of money. But getting back to your original question, did I like it? I was sad that, um, first of all, the, the comedy in this one falls. It, it, it kind of mines a lot more sexual innuendo and that type of thing, which I didn't appreciate. Uh, I mean, it's really one of those topics that I think it, there's got to be some other funny things here besides besides talking about body parts and that type of thing. Right. Um, and I felt like the 1980s thing has been worked a little bit too heavily as well. Some of the jokes just kept on coming back to the same thing over and over. Probably my biggest beef, though, is this thing is long. The first one was it ran about, I think, 124 minutes or something, just over two hours. This one's 136 minutes and really is no good reason to be that long. The battle scene, scene, the the battles seem to go on for eons, and and so artistically as well, it felt like uh, the performances too. This almost feels like a a sports team that accidentally got into the playoffs, and now that they're up for the big game, they're really kind of nervous and they feel a little forced, and it just doesn't feel as sincere as that first one did. Now, you know, I, I got to tell you, when I first saw the first movie, I got the feeling like I was kind of, it was almost like I was watching Star Wars, the very original Star Wars film, just because, you know, you've got this team of ragamuffins that are kind of just putting things together as they go. And it just seemed like a very loose and enjoyable film to me. But uh, 
I have heard that it is not as good as the first one. And wow, that's saying a lot since you weren't crazy about the first one either. But aside from aside from some of the sexual uh, content that you mentioned, anything else that parents ought to be aware of going into this? Well, probably the biggest issue for most parents will be the amount of violence that's in this film. And there was a lot of violence in the first one. That was really one of the major things that kept us from giving it a better grade than a B minus. We were concerned about giving it a heavy endorsement because of, of the violence. Well, this time we have probably an equal amount of violence, but it's it's tinged just uh, with a little bit more cruelty. There's some scenes in here of torture and bullying, and uh, there's one scene in particular. Now, I'm going to assume a lot of people are familiar with the character. So there's the character of Groot. He's voiced by Vin Diesel, and he was the big tree in the first movie, and then we thought he was killed, but then he, a little sapling appears at the end of the film, and we know he's still alive. Well, Groot in spoilers, this movie is Rod, essentially spoilers. a small child. <laughs> well, that's the, from the first movie, though, so I'm hoping everybody's seen the first movie. And so as you come in this movie, Groot is a small child um, because that's his character still continues from the first film. And... Um, and there's one scene in particular where he is being harassed by a group of adults who are all drunk and they're pouring booze on him and this type of thing. And uh, it really, it was a bothersome scene. And I heard a couple of young children in my screening, they were very upset by this. You know, parents, said, uh, it, when you consider this movie for kids, I would say definitely heed the PG-13 on it if you do decide that this is an appropriate film for your kids. But definitely, you know, I would say for the younger crowd, no, I don't think so. Because, you know, as I mentioned, there's also some scenes of torture and other things as well. So the violence is just it's more mean spirited, I guess, for lack of a better term. All right. And Rod, real quick, what grade would you give this film? Well, so this was coming in at a C grade for us. Wow, C grade. It's, you yes, know, it's heartbreaking, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head though, Rod, when you said uh it's just going to make a ton of money no matter what any critic or person says about it. It's just going to make a ton of money. Um, well, Rod, we really appreciate you here on Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to have you back next week as our special guest. We're going to be diving deeper into the ratings process and compromises that studios will make to get the rating that they want and that they fight for. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, my next guest and I are going to share breakup stories, but maybe not the kind that you think. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. I'm Jeff Simpson. You know, if you've ever been in a relationship, then chances are you've also gone through a breakup. You reach a point when, for one reason or another, you decide it'd be best to part ways. Well, the same could be said of the television shows we watch. In which shows have you invested countless hours before making the often difficult decision to call it quits? Well, here to join the discussion is Joel Hilton an improv comic and co-host of the hilarious pop culture podcast, Bacon Sale. Joel, welcome to Screen Cleaning. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is kind of a sensitive subject for me. I don't know if it is for you. It it brought up a lot of emotions for me, to be honest, as I was going through these and remembering the good times that I had with these shows and then just how it ended so badly. 
Yeah. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture that we're sharing a uh, a bucket of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, and you know, at the appropriate moment, we can have a good cry together. So we I'd like that. Let's share our five TV shows that we've broken up with over the years. Okay, and and I would like to mention, please don't judge me for these choices, because in the end, I did break up with them. But uh, <laughs> my number five was actually The Vampire Diaries. This was one of those shows that I went, oh, you know, I like I like the, you know, kind of the scary elements. I like vampires and werewolves and stuff like that. I'll give it a shot. So I watched the first two episodes, I think it was, and I, I just realized it was not the show for me. Like, I, I realized very early on this relationship was not going to work. I was not getting the, what I needed out of the show. And so I decided it was better to make a clean break early than to let it go on a little longer. Because who knows? I, you know, I might have ended up feeling obligated to watch more. And it is a two-sided relationship, or it should be, and you just weren't getting what you needed. So I'm going to tell you my number five, but I am going to say I took a look at this list after I'd written it, and I noticed that the reasons that I stopped watching these shows are very similar to the reasons that people give for breaking up with someone in real life. So it's kind of interesting. Number five for me is a show that's still on right now. It's called Designated Survivor. It's basically, it's about this guy who is you know, way low on the totem pole to be the next president of the United States. I think he's the HUD secretary, and everybody that is in front of him for the presidency is just gets blown up. And so hmm. he is called to be the next president, totally unprepared, and it's about him adjusting and trying to figure out how this all went wrong. But the reason I had to give up on it is because, uh, kind of similar to your number five, I just I got bored with it, and I felt like... There was nothing in it for me. There was nothing. There was no excitement in the relationship. May I ask, were you a fan of 24? Well, uh, ask me that again when we get to number four. <laughs> oh, well. Okay. Because so I was going to say what you're saying is that you feel that uh, Kiefer Sutherland changed since the last time you were together. He did. He's not yeah. the same Kiefer. Anyway, what's, no. what's your number four? Uh, my number four is a show called Mad Men. Uh, on AMC, and it was a, uh, well, it was a hurtful relationship, to be honest. I started watching it, and it was this wonderful, you know, character study, and, you know, I really enjoyed kind of seeing how these characters were going to develop, but I soon realized after every single episode that I hated the world, I hated people, I hated everyone in the show, like I just felt empty inside, and I realized I was in a hurtful relationship, and so I decided to get out of it. And I gave up, I think after like two or probably three seasons, I gave up on that one. But I went pretty far on there. Well, I'm glad you're able to get out when you did, because my number four, I stuck with it for almost the entirety of this show, which is 24. And uh, I love Kiefer Sutherland, but uh, he took eight good years for me that I'm never going to get back. (laughs) And, you know, I wish I could at least have three of those years back. The first five years were pretty good. We were in a good relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem with this for me was it was exactly the same every single year. You know, there's going to be a mole. (laughs) There's going to be, you know, some big twist. It's always the same twist, too. So for me... There was no variety. There was no spice. There was nothing new for Kiefer to offer me. So that's why I Mm. broke it off with 24. It's understandable. I mean, sometimes you get in a relationship and you give them the best years of your life and it just doesn't work out. (laughs) What's your number three? Uh, My number three is actually Chuck. uh, It was on NBC, I believe, and it was about a guy who got a computer uploaded to his head and was able to be a spy. It's a lot of fun. 
and I did enjoy it. But this was one of those relationships where we kind of just drifted apart. Like I remember, I remember watching a, a, a season finale and it might've been a series finale. They weren't sure, but then the show came back. But by then I'd, I'd kind of moved on we'd gone different ways. And I just, I never went back to it. You know, maybe one day I'll, I'll go back and see it again. But for now I'm just kind of happy where I'm at TV wise. So you checked check. I did. I did right in the bin. So this next one might upset some people. And this is another one where I stayed in the relationship way too long. And it's The Office, the American version of The Office. Oh. So, and before I I give my reasons, I do want to preface this by saying that Michael Scott is one of the greatest written TV characters of all time. And on the the rest of the show, there are some great characters, too, like Dwight Schrute and Jim Halpert Mm -hmm. and Pam uh, Beasley. But I reached a point where the show just became way too mean-spirited for me. I've been in relationships before where the person was just way too mean, and I I didn't want to stick around. And it was kind of similar with this. So uh, there was a point when... um, Parks and Recreation came on directly after The Office, and we got to the point where we were laughing more at Parks and Rec than we were at The Office, and I think it was just because The Office became too mean-spirited. So uh, I stopped watching The Office and started watching uh, Parks and Rec. Yeah, and that was one where I think the show just got progressively, well, worse, and after, after Michael Scott left... I will say, I thought the finale nailed it, and it almost made it worth it, those last two seasons. It was good to see some of those characters come back, yeah. So what's your number two? My number two, uh, you're actually getting an exclusive, uh, because Whoa. I haven't broke up with them yet, but I'm I'm probably going to in the next, by the end of this season. Can I, can I tweet it, the show and let it know that you're calling to quit? I'll let you do that. I'll let you do that. <laughs> well, and, and it's also two shows. It's actually that... It's actually Arrow and The Flash on CW. You're giving up on them. Well, Arrow is one of – Arrow I'm, I'm definitely giving up on. Flash I may keep around, but the problem is they, they both have the same problem. They're turning into kind of just recycling the same old story material, and it's becoming very CW, which means that it's just getting very much into love triangles and, you know – Mis, like misrepresentation and you know lying and things like that and people getting mad because other people are lying. And I'm like, just fight bad guys. And so uh, I've talked to my wife, and uh, we've decided that probably after the se- definitely after the season, we're giving up on Arrow, and we might even be giving up on Flash. Well, good luck. I know it uh, causes a lot of stress when you're trying to decide how to break up with someone or a TV show. Mm-hmm. So I hope it goes well. Thank you. <laughs> I thankfully I've never been in a physically abusive relationship, but I know a lot of people are, and it's really really sad when it happens. But uh, my number two, I gave up on because I just thought there was way too much senseless violence. And so I didn't feel like it was worth, I, I felt like it was doing damage to my soul, which is mm-hmm. a little show on FX called Justified. This is a Kentucky sheriff who has this rivalry between this this guy that he grew up with. And for the first couple of seasons, it was pretty entertaining. But then it just, yeah, like they were just shooting people left and right for no particular reason. It was just senseless violence, and so I I had to get out of it. So I, But I was watching it. I think I watched it for a full four seasons. But, uh, yeah, just couldn't oh, do it man, anymore. You, you might be giving me a heads up because we've actually started watching that one. See, Like I said, season one and two and maybe half of three are pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you don't need to watch it anymore. 
Oh, so okay. good to know. Get your get your kicks and thrills, and then get out. <laughs> All right, I can do that. All and right. Then, uh, what so is your you ready number, for my one? number one? Yeah. And I'm going to let you know right now this this is a bad breakup. Uh, it's actually Gotham. <gasps> uh, you didn't Gotham. Yes, and and <laughs> and when I say break up, I mean I watched the entire first season, just hoping, hoping that it would get better, and the show got. Just worse and worse and more ridiculous and terrible. And they brought in characters I didn't care about and kept characters alive that didn't need to be kept alive. And so I actually went on a very public Twitter rant and officially broke up with Gotham in like eight different tweets talking about what it had done wrong to me. And finally said, I'm never coming back. And goodbye. Well, I'm happy that you got out of that relationship, but I've got to say, I was broken up with once through an email. So to be broken up with over social media is pretty rough <laughs> for the person. You know, that's... it's 2017. <laughs> it's how it's how the kids do it. Yeah. Wow, that's kind of controversial, especially on your show. I know a lot of your listeners would uh, are watching that show. It's true, and I, I, as much as I like Batman, this is not the world of Batman, and I felt it was an insult to the world of Batman, actually, which is why I finally decided I can't watch this anymore. Well, my number one, so I don't know if you watched Downton Abbey, and we watched all seasons of it, and uh, that was a relationship that kind of just died of natural causes because, you know, the show ended. And so, naturally, we did what a lot of other people were doing. We were trying to find a show that was similar to Downton Abbey, you know, that could, mm-hmm. you know, that was basically a high class soap opera. So we stumbled upon one that was on PBS or Masterpiece Theater. It was Poldark. Have you heard of this show? Poldark? Poldark. So it stars uh, one of the guys from The Hobbit, and it's actually a remake of a show that was done back in the 70s or 80s. That uh, And th- that show was based on a series of books. Anyway, it's this guy that, uh, oh, you're supposed to be rooting for him, but he just keeps making all these bad choices. He's kind of an anti-hero. And he meets this sweet woman that really brings out the best in him, but he can't let go of this love that he has for his cousin that he was supposed to marry a long time ago, and it didn't work out. And during season two, he commits adultery. Oh, no. And uh, at that point, I remember standing up, and I threw my hands up, and I said, I'm done. Forget it. I'm not watching the show anymore. I can't, I can't get behind characters or root for characters when they've done that. Yes. Uh, That's it's a just, line. It's really difficult to have any sympathy for people that do that. Um, and I don't mean to go off on a rant on this, but, uh, yeah, that was the moment. It was during season two when I decided I'm not watching this anymore. And I don't believe my wife has either. So you were done. I was done. So again, all five of my shows, they cover all of the reasons why people break up in, in real life. You know, there's, uh, I, I got bored. There was nothing new to offer me. Uh, they were mm-hmm. mean, violent, and, uh, unfaithful. Yeah, it's. It's the same, like you said. TV is a relationship; it's a two-way street, and if doesn't if one party's not fulfilling the other, the other will move on. Yeah. Well, this was kind of a downer, but I'm I'm glad we're able to get this out and uh, get some Ben and Jerry's, and. Well, and you and you say downer, I say healing. I think there was some healing done today. That's so profound. Well, during the break, let's get a good cry. Let's do that. Let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to I want to get things on more of a positive note. When we come back, we're going to be playing a little game 
that uh, will help us look for the good in the bad. Mm, How's that for a tease? We'll return. This is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show with Jeff Simpson. We'll be right back. Each year, movie studios produce hundreds of films, and a large number of these films are met with scathing reviews and pathetic ticket sales. And a select few of these quote-unquote bad films go on to be considered some of the worst movies ever made. Well, since our slogan here at BYU Radio is talk about good, we thought we'd play a little game that helps us focus on the positive aspects of these bad movies. And uh, we want to welcome back to the program the co-host of the podcast Bacon Sale and our good friend and improv comic Joel Hilton. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be on a positive show. <laughs> yes. And uh, you're going to have to be positive for this next segment because uh, yes. here's how it's going to work. We're going to play a little yeah. game that I like to call Silver Lining Cinema. Yes, and here's how it's going to work. I have a spinning wheel that contains the names of several quote-unquote bad movies, and I'm going to spin the wheel, and we'll have to watch whichever film we land on and give it a positive review. So let me give you today's category of the uh, Silver Lining Cinema game. Today's category is Films Featuring Academy Award Winners. So how, mm. how bad could they be, right? It can't be that bad, right? Okay, so Joel, are you ready to play Silver Lining Cinema? I am ready, Jeff. Okay, so here is the spin. And let's see what it lands on. This is going to be for you, by the way. Very mm. fitting that this is a squeaky wheel because these are movies that nobody watches. Mm. Um, the film that you have to watch is Tentacles. Lovely. <laughs> I bet you're so excited. <laughs> All right. Let me give it one more spin. And this is the film that I'm going to watch. And come on, don't be son of the mask. Not son of the mask. And it looks like I'll be watching Daddy Day Camp. Okay, so let's take a quick break. We'll watch those movies, and when we come back, we will give a positive review of them. And we're back. So we're going to start with you. Give us your positive review of Tentacles. So Tentacles, 1977, which was two years after Jaws, is about a mutated giant octopus that wreaks havoc on a California seaside community. And, um, well, this movie lets everyone (laughs) have a line. It doesn't matter if they're a good actor. It doesn't matter if they can speak English. They let everybody talk. And it doesn't matter. At the same time, they don't really rely on talking. I mean, they let long moments of silence just happen. And we're talking five, ten, fifteen-minute stretches with no dialogue whatsoever. Um, They also trust their viewers to know what's going on. They don't necessarily show you what's happening. You have to guess about a lot of it. And this movie doesn't bog you down with things like memorable characters or characters that you like. So when one of them dies, it doesn't hurt as much. 
And finally, I think maybe the most uh, wonderful thing about this is the uh, five-note harpsichord theme that they have for the octopus is much more jarring than the two-note tuba number from Jaws. Pins and needles, Joel. Yes, this movie has a lot to offer. Uh, they also don't show the octopus, just like Jaws didn't show the shark. It's it's a good thing because it builds quote-unquote suspense. Wow. You know, it's so easy to point out the bad in things that, you know, it, it takes so much more patience. And, uh, you know, it says a lot about you that you can find the positive in a movie like Tentacles. So thank you. I- you're welcome. I do what I can to bring light to the world. So I want to tell you about a little film called Daddy Day Camp. Now, first off, I never saw Daddy Daycare, but I saw the previews. And, you know, Eddie Murphy, he has his moments. And I'm a lot of people think he's so great and all that. But when I saw the preview, I thought, you know, the one thing that this film is missing is an Academy Award winner. Mm. So it's about this guy that loses his job And so he and his friend are forced to open up a daddy daycare. Well, in the sequel, they signed up Cuba Gooding Jr. to star in the sequel, Daddy Mm. Day Camp. Eddie Murphy doesn't have an Oscar. Cuba Gooding Jr. That's true. One Oscar. Okay. Jerry Maguire. Yes. So he and his friend decide to save a camp that they went to as kids that is going under. And they want their kids to go and have a positive experience. So... What I love about this movie is that there are so many important life lessons to be learned. There's a scene where the kids in the car, some kids in a car are singing 99 bottles of non-alcoholic beer on the wall. So right (laughs) off the bat, you know, let's not advocate the drinking of alcohol, uh, you know, among children. I love that. They talk about cooties. Cooties, it's it's a very real thing. And on the playground, it, it's rampant with cooties. You need to watch yes. out for that. Your kids are not safe, especially these days. It tells you about the dangers of going into a bathroom with methane. Don't mm. do it. There are explosive results. And uh, there was also one scene, and I think anybody that watches this movie will never, ever forget this scene. There's a shot of a fish tank. And it is the cleanest fish tank I have ever seen in a movie or in real life. And I really appreciate that. It shows that they care about uh, fish. They care about Mm -hmm. cleanliness. And it sets a really good example for these kids. And I love that this movie is all about being inclusive. And what I mean by that is there are so many toilet and crude gags in this movie. They don't want to leave any of them out. They want to make sure that they include every single one of them, almost like they had a checkbox going down the list, because who wants to be left out? I know, right? So you've got a skunk, you've got a toilet explosion, you've got bathroom, vomit, a belching contest, undergarment references and mishaps, pies and paintballs in the face. They didn't leave anything out. And I really appreciated that because we're all about being inclusive. And, you know, in closing, I would love to say that this film, it's refreshing because you don't see too many films this day or TV shows where men are portrayed as bumbling, incapable idiots. And so it was just nice. It was a nice change of pace to see that they're finally taking a jab at at husbands and fathers. So check out Daddy Day Camp. And check out Tentacles. 
Well, I think we've done our duty, and we found the good in those movies that you probably would not even give a second look at, or even ever say in a sentence ever again. So, Joel, I hope you had a good time here on screen cleaning. And, you know, we need your insight. We need somebody like you that can give us the positive and what everybody else is telling us is negative and bad and horrible. You're a humanitarian, Joel, is what I'm really trying to say. I do what I can. (laughs) All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we will continue the fun here on Screen Cleaning. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. We are so incredibly lucky because right now we get to head on over to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation to wish them a happy Cinco de Mayo. Spencer and Jason, how are you guys doing? Oh, you know, just your typical Cinco de Mayo, right? You know, I don't know what typical is because Matt, you know, pretended like he was going to bring in some chips and salsa and then didn't. So maybe is that typical? Um chips and salsa on Cinco de Mayo? No, saying you will and then you don't. Oh, yeah. Well, that's oh, typical you, Matt, right? Like yeah, over-promising and under-delivering? Under that's Matt for you. So I did see uh, Ben Bagley running down the stairs with this giant sombrero. Uh-huh. Two. Two of them, actually. Whoa. So are, will you guys be wearing those on the show today? You're going to have to watch. Ah! probability. Or listen to find out. Okay, so what is a what is a typical Cinco de Mayo for the two of you? Oh, just loads of uh, pretty much nothing. <laughs> I like to live <laughs> Sounds... my life the same regardless of what day it is. Just good, live a good life. Good for you, but I will say as long as chips and salsa are involved, then that's that's the best thing, really. But I eat yeah. chips and salsa every day, so that follows in with my trend. There you go. And then I have to ask, too. <laughs> Maybe um, a taco from Trump Tower. <laughs> <laughs> taco salad, yeah. <laughs> uh, i got to ask you, I know Jerem's not here. Are you going to wait for him before you go see Guardians of the Galaxy 2, or do you already have your tickets? We've already planned it with Jerem. In fact, he was the one that organized the whole uh, production meeting that we Call it Jeff. So we we are going to see it together next Tuesday. I knew it was a Tuesday. I knew it. Five dollar Tuesday. That's awesome. Can't beat that. You cannot beat beat that. Now, were you lucky enough to get the the nice cushy chairs that go out like that that sell out? The luxury recliners. Yes. Uh, No, but they were available. I don't know why Jerem didn't buy those. How much are the luxury recliners on Discount Tuesday? Well, it depends on what. it, It depends on the theater. If you go to the the Megaplex. It uh, they don't discriminate. They're it's all five dollars. It's any seat, five dollars. Yeah. That's why I'm saying I was surprised. Come on, I saw Doctor Strange uh, on IMAX 3D Tuesday, five dollars. See, I cannot do the 3D. I, I've, that has never been a selling point with me. Well, it's kind of like a buffet at five dollars. You if you know you, you might as well take as, as much, much as, you, as can. you can. Regardless, you know I don't really like uh, this cantaloupe, but you know it fits on my plate, and I paid for it. So <laughs> totally. Hey, and speaking of Guardians of the Galaxy two, I want to know if either of you had mixed tapes growing up, and what was on those mixed tapes. Absolutely, I made mixed tapes. Michael Jackson, Boys to Men. Ooh. Uh, little Belle Biv DeVoe. Ooh. 
BBD. Yes, ABC, <laughs> BBD. <laughs> Everybody back in the day, you would always, like, like it used to be a ritual to listen to radio stations at night and wait for those songs that you wanted so you could hit record and, and get those onto your, your tape and then, like, make your own little uh, mixtape. That was awesome. That was back in the day. And then give it to the girl that you're serious about. Yes. Did you ever give a girl a mixtape, Jason? <laughs> um, I think I did. I think I did. I don't know that I ever gave a girl a mixtape. I burned a CD at the request of a few girls, but I never just, like, made one and was like, hey, babe. Hey, made this you describes this, my uh, feelings for you. This uh, burned <laughs> CD. <laughs> Of pirated music. <laughs> you'd plug the you'd plug the mic into the stereo and do a little voiceover during the music. Oh man! Wow. Well, yeah. I have a quick confession to make, and uh, I don't think I'm alone in this confession. But all of my mix, or you know, I would have a mixtape or a mix CD that would inevitably include Ace of Bases. I saw the sign. Ooh, I just listened to that song oh, yesterday. Yeah. Yes, it- Ace of Base was definitely on one of my mixtapes at some point. Yes, and I, I'm not ashamed to say that. You shouldn't you be shouldn't ashamed be. to say that. I was a member of BMG Music. Oh. Did you do the one cent, the, yes. the penny See, for a CD? I did you're it. still paying for that, right? I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I did it when tapes were still a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got 12 tapes for like a penny or something. See, now that you might want to be ashamed of. <laughs> Anyway, guys, what's what's coming up on your show other Who than cares? Sombreros and Who Guardians cares? of the Galaxy? It doesn't matter what's coming up on the show. We're talking about mixtapes in hey, the early 90s. Just be grateful that I'm not asking you that whether or not you're still doing the show. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Championship weekend is a go for launch, Jeff. BYU men's volleyball took down the number one team in America in a sweep, and the rematch with The Ohio State is on. We'll talk... And I, by we, I mean Jason went one-on-one with Brendan Sander to celebrate Cinco de Mayo, BYU's junior outside hitter who's coming off a crazy performance. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk, we're going to talk a lot of volleyball. Jerem Jordan, who witnessed it in person, will join us to kind of recap last night, preview the uh, match tomorrow. Uh, we will also talk with Ronnie Jones-Perry from BYU Women's Volleyball. She's going to get an opportunity to possibly make the U.S. Women's National Team in Volleyball. So we're going to talk to her. Pretty good stuff, right? Yeah. Any uh, any uh, women's conference coverage on your show? Uh, no, but we will talk to Ula Tolutau of BYU Football, why he chose to transfer from Wisconsin to BYU after his mission. He is a big-time get for yes. this football program. He's making his show debut. Sweet. So all yeah. that coming up on your show in just four minutes and seven, six seconds. And, and we may or may not don some sombreros. We will. Mm, are you going to give us like a like a mariachi call of any kind? Oh, you would bring up mariachi the day that Jerem is not. Yeah, here, who has, a, he uh, has been he has been begging, subject. begging for a mariachi band at some point in <laughs> Studio B. And you think I'm joking? I am not joking. All right, you guys, we'll knock them dead. Have a great show and happy Cinco de Mayo. Same to you, Same thanks, to you. Jeff. Thank you. Well. Jeff, we got to have one of those production meetings they're talking about. Yes. You and me, screen cleaning. Now, what showing of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 do we want to go see? Hmm. Tuesday? Hmm. Production meeting over some nachos and uh, 3D glasses. Matt will bring the salsa. Yes. 
Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, as I said earlier on on the show, our mission here on Screen Cleaning is to help you find the best entertainment around. And one way in which we'll do that is by shining a spotlight on a particular movie, actor, performer, or story in a segment we're calling Panning for Good. There's good in them dire hills. Today we're focusing on stand-up comedian Ryan Hamilton, who describes himself as the child of Jerry Seinfeld and Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld, which is a pretty accurate description if you if you see a picture of him. Uh, as far as his appearance goes, he's competed in multiple comedy competitions, including Last Comic Standing, and he's appeared on numerous late-night talk shows, including Conan and The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And he works totally clean. And what's more important, he's actually pretty funny. I tried to cancel my gym membership. Have you ever heard a lazier statement in your life than I tried to cancel my gym membership? You cannot get out of this. I've walked off street gangs easier than canceling gym memberships. I called this guy and he said, if you really want to cancel, there are two ways. No, there's just one way. I tell you, and then you do it. That's it. That's the only way. We're actually halfway done right now. If you would just meet me in the middle, we could close the case on this one, you know? (laughs) Well, you can check out his videos on YouTube or check out his website to find out where he's performing next. Now, earlier in the show, we also shared some very uh, heart-wrenching TV breakup stories. And I thought it would be fitting today to end the show... With a true life breakup story. I'm not talking about TV shows. I'm actually talking about a real relationship that I was in. And you always brainstorm how you're going to do this. I was the one that was going to break up with this girl. And so you think, well, wouldn't it be nice? Because this was before we texted each other to break up or emailed each other to break up. I have been broken up through email, by the way. So I thought we'll go out for a walk. I'll do some small talk. Maybe give her some compliments, and then I'll break the news to her, put her down gently. Sounds bad. Put her down. So we went out for a walk. It was night. It was a lovely, uh, calm, and warm night. We were walking around our apartment complex, and we do the small talk. I warm up to getting to the big bombshell that I'm going to break up with her and that we should just be friends, as we always like to say. And as I say the words, I think we should break up. She reacts in a way that I never could have comprehended. Nor could any human being, for that matter, I don't think. I said, I think we need to break up. And slowly her eyes began to light up. And a smile formed on her face. And she said the following words. I'm so happy. And I was floored. Why would anybody be so happy to break up with me? Especially if I'm the one saying, I want to break up with you. (sighs) Seems a bit weird, but uh, honestly, the most pleasant breakup I've ever had. I never would have guessed she would have been so happy to be done with our relationship. Turns out she had a boyfriend that was serving on an LDS mission. He was coming home. So the timing was, was just right for that breakup. Anyway... I won't share her name, but uh, if you're listening, you know who you are, and uh, I'm glad I was able to make you so happy. 
Well, that's going to do it for today's show of screen cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. I hope you had a good time. Like I said, we're going to do our darndest to help you identify the most positive and uplifting and just quality entertainment. And, uh, you know, you don't have to look as hard as you think. But uh, you can turn to us. You can count on us to give you the best and only the best in quality entertainment. This is Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. My name is Jeff Simpson. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next Friday at 9 o'clock where you can get the latest on entertainment news and us shining the spotlight on the good among the bad. We'll return next week. Have a great weekend. We'll talk again soon.